Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Wednesday morning, July 26, 843-661-0937 is our number. Just Josh and I, again, Rev still in Florida with his mom. I talked to him or texted with him a little bit um, yesterday. Um, she's just, she's struggling, and he's there with her as she struggles. Good morning, Josh. How are you? I'm doing all right. So we've got a uh, welcome back to the Ken and Josh show. Um, you you, you <laughs> spread your wings a little bit yesterday, Josh. Yeah, had a good okay. time. Okay. Did you enjoy that? I did. Okay. Are you gunning for my job? Perhaps. Okay. If you're <laughs> if you're gunning for my job, you'll talk less. If you convince Fair me enough. you're not gunning for my job, then I'll consider you a friendly, and your your, your <laughs> opinions will be more, more than more than welcomed here. Now you did a great job, and I mean that sincerely. Thank you. Um, I mean Josh has made no bones about it. Eventually, I, I don't want to speak for him, but I mean he's told me kind of candidly that he would like to host a radio show one day. Well, the best way to do it is under fire and to, um, and to kind of, you know, see if you can do it in real time. Um, jo- Josh will occasionally come in and say, let's, let's kind of, I mean, you know, let's, we, we have these debates or not debates, conversations or discussions with one another. And I'll tell Josh, let's not even talk about it. I mean, it's better. And I think you agree. It's better if it happens spontaneously. I do. If yeah. there, I mean, obviously we've got a certain, um, a trek we're going down certain stories. We're not talking about Gamecock football or Clemson football this morning. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a politically centric radio show that by and large involves us talking about American, uh, politics. And I had a, uh, kind of a show plan for today. Not, not necessarily a B C D E, but I had some sort of, um, sense of where we're headed. And then this story breaks that I'm trying to corroborate Fox news is reporting this morning that there has, well, I'll read it verbatim. I mean, I get a tweet last night from a friend of our show. Um, and, and once again, it's on Twitter. So be careful, um, because social media is known to be a bit inaccurate at times, but, um, but there is a, there is a guy running for Missouri attorney general, uh, worked for the Supreme court of the United States and two confirmation hearings. Uh, he's a former federal prosecutor, but he's a politician. I mean, he's, you know, his first. Uh, in his um, bio on Twitter, candidate for Missouri Attorney General. Uh, he's a Republican. So you would expect him to have, you know, a kind of aggressive opinion about a rumor that's floating around out there. But this is kind of sort of breaking news. Um, Hunter Biden is to be sentenced today. I mean, he's to plead guilty. Uh, maybe not. Maybe not sentenced, but he's to plead guilty to the charges of, you know, a couple of um, what, what, what I call a pardon. I mean, he's pleading guilty to a pardon. Um and it's, it's gun charges, it's tax charges, but there's this um this gentleman in Missouri um, who says I am a former federal prosecutor and I literally cannot believe what just happened in Hunter Biden's tax fraud case. Based on what has been made public, here is what I think the story is. Now there's a little black lesbian in there. You know he's not he knows nothing about his father's business. Has all of a sudden turned into he's never been in business with his father. Subtle change. But, but radically different. Subtle change, but radically different. So um, this person, William Sharp, who is a attorney for, excuse me, a, a candidate for Missouri Attorney General, um, continues, based on what has been made public, here is what I think, uh, okay, I think the story is. The House Ways and Means Committee, led by Chairman Jason Smith of Missouri, filed documents relating to the investigation of Hunter Biden's criminal enterprise with the court overseeing his tax fraud case in which he's scheduled to plead guilty uh, in a sweetheart deal tomorrow. I agree with that. 
He's scheduled to plead guilty. This would have been yesterday. So today is tomorrow. He is scheduled to plead guilty this morning to these charges. An attorney associated with Hunter Biden's legal team contacted the clerk, the court clerk's office, falsely claimed to be a part of the House Ways and Means legal team, and asked the clerk to pull the adverse filing, uh, amicus briefings and whatnot, for technical reasons. The court figured out what happened and is now demanding answers from Hunter's team as to why they apparently lied to the court in what appears to be a desperate attempt to prevent evidence of his criminal enterprise from being put on the record in this tax fraud case. This is not irregular. This is insane. Well, in this case, it's kind of regular. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of normal in this Hunter Biden episode. Now, Miranda Devine of the New York Post writes uh, in kind of a subtitle or a subheading in this tweet, scandal in Delaware on the eve of Hunter Biden plea deal, Judge Norika has given Hunter's lawyers to 9 p.m., which would have been last night, to explain why they should not be sanctioned for misrepresentations to the court to improperly convince the clerk's court, the clerk's office to remove GOP lawyer materials from the docket. Um, but it's being somewhat corroborated by Fox News this morning. They're covering um, uh, the story, but but it's um, it's not widespread. It's not mainstream. I mean, I don't know if this story will ever be mainstream, but in essence, they're arguing that a lawyer for the Biden team uh, said they were somebody they weren't, called the Ways and Means um, legal staff and asked for some of the um, some of the adverse filings to be removed. Now, now, if you want to be a uh, conspiracy theorist at 6.0 or 6.12 in the morning, and I saw something on Twitter yesterday. People call me a conspiracy theorist, but what I really am is a paying attentionist. Um, <laughs> you know, I thought that was pretty well pretty well, um, well written. So for all of us paying attentionists out there, um, it's, 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 if it's true, you, you got to start going down the road of what was in the adverse filings. What did the what did the attorneys include in some of the amicus briefings that would expose Joe Biden? Remember when the IRS agents, whistleblowers said they weren't allowed to go down certain roads. They were stonewalled. They were slow walked. They were told nothing to see here. Um, you don't have to hit those people in the face with a wet mop. They kind of know, you know, when politics are being played. And remember, the two whistleblowers said. There were things they wanted done that they weren't allowed to get done. Um, I have no idea what's in the adverse filing. I have no idea what's in the amicus briefing, but it sounds to me like a lawyer representing Hunter Biden. Now, now the the law firm representing Biden says it was a simple miscommunication, uh, as if it happens all the time. I mean, I don't think it happens all the time, and it may have been a simple miscommunication. I have no idea. Um, I, I just know what we're reading today in real time, um, and the – the Ways and Means staff has acknowledged that, you know, someone misrepresented who they were when they called the Ways and Means um, legal staff. Now, now once again, uh, you know, the story will speak for itself. The truth will set you free at some uh, point in time here, but we're trying to report this in real time, and it's very vague, very ambiguous. There are things that, um, that, that are being said that aren't corroborated. I, you know, maybe they're substantiated, don't know. Does the um, AG candidate in Missouri have a straight line to Missouri Senator Congressman Jason Smith, who chairs the Ways and Means? Don't know. I mean, all that would be um, complete total speculation. 
but the Biden legal team has acknowledged that they have that there was a misrepresentation that they're calling a miscommunication about asking the Ways and Means legal team to remove the adverse filings part. And, you know, you automatically go, if you're a paying attentionist, you automatically go to, well, that's where the questions were asked about Joe's involvement. I mean, that's real. That's that's where the real legal peril is. Um, that's when it stops becoming, that's when it stops being about Hunter Biden and becomes more about Joe Biden. If the if the adverse filings, if the amicus briefings are, are, are what, you know, some are arguing they may be, that's when it stops being about Hunter and starts being about about Joe Biden. But once again, I would imagine we will know more by the end of the show today at, than we do at the beginning of the show today. But um, today is the day that Hunter pleads guilty, and we're finding out in the last moments of the game that someone from the Biden legal team said they were somebody they weren't and try to convince the Ways and Means legal staff to take some of the adverse filings out of the report, I automatically, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but I am a paying attentionist, I automatically go to, wow, okay, the adverse filings would have probably not incriminated Joe Biden, but insinuated many, many things we suspect about Hunter and Joe Biden. Eight four three six six one. I want to delve into that. I mean, during the breaks, I'll try to, I mean, I got someone I can reach out to in, uh, in Washington that may know more about this than I do. I mean, I'm sure they'll know more than I do about this, but we're covering this story in real time. That's a major development. I mean, that, that's yeah. a big development if indeed it is true and can be corroborated. And Fox News just had about, you know, a couple of minutes of reporting. Uh, but, but they're saying um, that, that there is a report that says, you know, X, Y, and Z. They're not saying it's been confirmed by the Ways and Means that they've not had a press conference to address any of these issues. So we're flying a bit blindly right now as we speak. But um, but to all you paying attentionists out there, um, that there, there, there's always been kind of a line where it stops being about Hunter and starts being about Joe. I don't know where that line is. I mean, I have no doubt that Joe Biden is in business with his son. I can't corroborate, I can't substantiate, I can't prove that to be a fact, but I'm not that stupid. I mean, that conspiracy theorist, paying attentionist, uh, I'm probably a little of both of those, but I'm not a moron. I mean, the Biden's got wealthy peddling influence being bribed by foreign governments. I mean, I think we're going to eventually uh, find out, and there's a couple of stories out there I want to touch on um, this morning, but I always felt, when do we find out where that line is? It stops being about Hunter and starts being about Joe. And maybe this is the beginning of that. Maybe the adverse filings and amicus briefings were, you know, um, incriminating or, or, or began becoming incriminating toward uh, the current president of the United States. That's a big deal. I mean, as we say in the country, that's a big ass deal. Hmm. I mean, if we start really considering whether or not the sitting president of the United States is heading up some you know, political organized crime family. I mean, that's a staggering revelation, but I think we're heading there. I mean, I think Newt Gingrich said yesterday that he thinks the revelation will be that Joe Biden is the most corrupt president America has ever had. I mean, Biden, excuse me, uh, Gingrich is a Republican. There's a little political posturing in there for sure. But, but you know, it's it's almost like, Josh, the, the analogy I used um, yesterday and the day before. I mean, if you've been divorced seven times, 
Is it everybody else's fault but yours? I mean, is Joe Biden the only honest person in Washington? The Democrats aren't coming to the rescue. I mean, they're saying things like it's a witch hunt. Um, we, we should have impeached Trump another time. Trump should have been dieted twice more. I mean, it's Trump, Trump, Trump. What about ism? What about nobody is saying I stand with Joe Biden when he says he didn't do it. I mean, I've not heard a single Democrat say I'll stand with my good friend and an honest president, Joe Biden, because I don't believe he did any of the things Republicans and some of the media now are being accusing or accusing him him of. And we'll see how it plays itself out. Once again, some of this has been corroborated. Some has not been corroborated, but we've got whistleblowers. We've got lawyers of the ways and means now. We've got, uh, you know, foreign nationals. We've got a 1025 confidential humans. I mean, it, we, we've got a lot of people lining up saying that guy's a crook, and he's the only person in Washington saying, no, I'm not. Let's go to the phone. We have Daphne calling from Dylan. Daphne, you're on the air. Good morning. Uh, Ken, I read several stories this morning and listened to Red Eye, and it's my understanding that the Ways and Means Committee attorney filed a brief with including the testimony of the two IRS agents and someone impersonating the Ways and Means Committee attorney's office called the clerk's office, the judge's clerk, and told them to take it off the docket after it had been put on the docket. They actually called and had the clerk in the judge's office to cancel the brief of the Ways and Means Committee attorney. And the Ways and Means Committee attorney got a call from that clerk's office and had to refile that particular brief. And that's what I understand. Not that they, you know, that Biden's attorneys contacted the Ways and Means Committee directly. They tried to influence the court to not put that brief on the docket, okay? Someone, uh, someone, okay, Daphne, so you're understanding that someone from the Biden legal team called the court and, 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 and misrepresented themselves as someone from, that's what I'm understanding. Um, and, and once again, guys, we're doing this in real time, and, and we don't have a staff of reporters. I mean, we don't have reporters running all over the countryside but, but Daphne's right. I mean, maybe I didn't say it correctly. It's my understanding that a lawyer or representative of the Biden legal team, the Hunter Biden legal team, reached out to the courts and told the courts that they were with the Ways and Means legal team and wanted to pull some of the, um, some of the adverse filings. I mean, that, that's what I'm understanding. Now, the, the Biden legal team or the law firm representing Hunter Biden, I just saw something on, on television two seconds ago, says that there was a miscommunication. But I think Daphne's right. I mean, the, the accusation is that somebody from the Biden legal team reached out to the courts and misrepresented themselves as someone from the Ways and Means. And, I mean, that, that's, that's a big deal. I mean, if you call the courts and say, you know, I'm somebody that I'm really not. And, you know, we'll, we'll find out. I mean, once again, this is kind of a moving target. Thank you, folks. For, uh, I had a couple of people tweet me articles that they've read in the last hour or so. 
but it's kind of a breaking story. It broke last night. I woke up to a couple of tweets this morning, but but that's the that's the proper framing. This is what I'm understanding. Now somebody called and correct me if I'm wrong, but somebody from Hunter Biden's legal team misrepresented themselves as someone from the Ways and Means legal team and suggested or advocated to the court to take some of the amicus briefings, some of the adverse filings um, down. Now, now, once again, if you're a paying attentionist, you, you got to believe that some of that adverse filing included potentially incriminating information about Joe Biden. I mean, that's speculation. I mean, that's 1,000% speculation. I have no idea what is in the adverse filing. I mean, I think we'll find out as we as we go along, and I do believe we'll know a good bit more by the end of the radio show today uh, as we do before the radio show. But if you folks out there that aren't hosting a radio show that have a moment or two on your hands, yeah, I mean, call in or send me some information that you have because this is a, I mean, this is a big deal, and it seems to be kind of right now somewhat of a moving target. 843-66, and if I didn't frame it correctly, call in. I mean, if, if, if what I said is not the way you understand it, 843-661-0937, uh, please call in and, uh, and frame it as you believe it should be framed. But, but as Daphne said, and maybe I didn't say it as clearly, someone from the Biden legal team misrepresented themselves as someone from the ways and means and tried to convince the court to take down uh, some of the adverse filings in the plea agreement that Hunter Biden will, will he'll plead guilty at what, 9 o'clock this morning? Somewhere there at 10 o'clock this morning is when I, I don't have any idea what effect that has or impact that has on, on whether he can plead or not. I have no idea uh, what the courts will, what their response will be once they are sure that someone called in. But, but apparently they're, they're, the Biden legal team has admitted they're just saying it was a miscommunication. Someone from our staff, I think they said a staffer, reached out and uh, and just made a mistake. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Okay, let's read some reporting here. Hunter Biden's counsel is accused of avoiding proper court procedure to allegedly get information about IRS whistleblowers removed from the docket. Delaware Judge, Delaware Judge Mary Ellen Noreka gave Biden's legal team until 9 p.m. on Tuesday to explain their side. Specifically, a lawyer from Hunter's legal team is accused of misrepresenting who she was when asking to remove amicus materials from the docket. She allegedly called to ask the clerk to seal the information instead of making a formal request to the court. The court has discussed the matter with the relevant individuals in the clerk's office and has been informed that the caller, Mrs. Jessica Bingles, represented that she worked with Ms. Cotillia and requested the amicus materials be taken down because they contain sensitive grand jury, taxpayer, and social security information. It appears that the caller misrepresented her identity and who she worked for in an attempt to improperly convince the clerk's office to remove the amicus materials from the docket. Now, it doesn't say that they improperly um, that they misrepresented their identity by saying they work for the clerk of, uh, excuse me, the, uh, the Ways and Means. I mean, it doesn't say that. Now, I've read that in another place. The court will temporarily place the document under seal until close of business on July 26, 2023, to afford defendant the opportunity to make the requisite, to try to make the requisite showing. Should defendant fail to make that showing, the document will be unsealed in its entirety. I mean, that that's Fox News, is, and you're not going to find it anywhere else. I mean, you can forget. 
going to the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, CBS, ABC, NBC. They're simply not going to give this. Uh, they're still giving the Biden team, uh, really the Democrats. I was thinking about this this morning. They're still giving the Democrats um, uh, time to come up with a coherent counter-narrative. I mean, the media professionals take their cue from Democrat officials, so the media professionals are waiting with bated breath, I would imagine, for the Democrats to come up with this counter-narrative so they can try to sell to the American public. But right now, the Democrats are struggling with this counter-narrative. I mean, if somebody stood beside Joe Biden and said, I, you know, I believe this is an honest, ethical man, he's the leader of my party, and I stand proudly with him, I put my political life at risk, I put my, you know, my honor and integrity at risk, by, by, but nobody's doing that. So, so the reason you got to go to Fox News, Twitter, um, talk radio to find stories like this is the media professionals are taking their cue from the Democrat Party, and the Democrat Party, as of now, has not come up with a coherent counter-narrative. That's why I think they're about to dump, dump Joe Biden. I mean, they're good at counter-narratives, and if they're, if they're not trying as hard as I think they are to come up with a counter-narrative, that means they're about done with Joe. That They needed somebody they could sell to the American public as a centrist Democrat to beat Donald Trump. I mean, this is that what, what, that's what this was all about. Lock him in the basement. Don't let him make a fool of himself. Let Trump be Trump, and we'll figure out a way to win in Pennsylvania. Maybe Stacey Abrams can pull Georgia out. And that's just kind of the way uh, it went down. He, he's, you know, he, he may be dispensable now and not that important to the Democrat Party. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. We have Joel calling from Mullins. Joel, you are on the air. Thank you, sir. Mr. Um, Lord, I was wondering, um, I, I think that the president has earned an impeachment, but I wonder if uh, it would be better to wait so that one the Republicans aren't seen as a uh, vengeance uh, program there, and unless the Senate is willing to convict, I'd rather wait until we see what happens with the Senate because just impeaching him seems to be a, a new mode of impeaching a president. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, I tend to agree with that. If you remember yesterday, Comer, we talked a little bit about Jim Comer not wanting, not wanting a special counsel. I mean, he doesn't trust the special counsel. Guys, a, a lot of this, and, and I mean, there's some things that, that I'm not that sure of. There's some things I'm far more sure about than the, the facts and data suggest I should be. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's hunchy, it's instinctive, it's just something you kind of feel in your bones. I've read in the last year a, a lot about DOJ. And DOJ has been radicalized by Barack Obama. Barack Obama put activist radicals in the DOJ. And in all fairness, if you want to transform a nation, what better way to do it than infiltrate the DOJ with, you know, um, radical activists? I mean, it really and truly is brilliant. And in retrospect, you know, Obama learned a lot in Chicago politics. And he put people like Eric Holder in places and Susan Rice in places, and they were equally as, as radical as he was. But, but I think because of the radicalization of DOJ, Jim Comer's right to say, hey, slow down with the special counsel. Let the ways and means handle the investigation because the Republicans are driving the train. And it's a partisan city. I mean, I'm sorry. You know, it's, uh, I wish we could all get along. Well, I do too, but we're not, and we ain't, and we won't. There's going to be a winner and a loser, and I'm interested in Republicans winning, and I think the best way to win this fight is the investigation to remain in, under control of Jim Comer and the, uh, the House Oversight Committee. Now, I will say this, and I'm not sure, 
it seems to me, Kevin McCarthy is suggesting impeachment inquiry. It seems to me from what I've read that an impeachment inquiry makes it harder for government agencies to withhold information. I mean, they'll stonewall, slow walk, FBI, DOJ, IRS. They may give you the information. They may not. They may answer a subpoena. They may not. Um, I mean, we've heard that back and forth. You know, Congress asks for information. Ray doesn't give it. Uh, the head of the IRS doesn't give it. They get frustrated. Um, that back Impeachment inquiries, if I'm not mistaken, um, allow for a more aggressive investigation. And some of these agencies run by entrenched radicals and establishment-oriented political leaders or political hierarchists, I mean, that, that they would be the ones that weren't that they can't say no as easily when you make a request if there's been an official impeachment inquiry uh, that, that has been launched. 843-661-0937 is our number. But once again, guys, I mean, this is a, um, I mean, this is a moving target. Uh, Fox is running a story now. Miranda Devine is a New York Post columnist. She's written extensively on the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden uh, business ordeal. Judge threatens sanctions against Hunter's lawyers. Um, that that's that's very interesting. That yeah. that um, I mean, it's not interesting. It's crazy. I mean, it really is. It's crazy that someone and you got to believe now. They're arguing the Biden the Biden legal team is arguing that it was an honest mistake. You know, some junior staffer cutting their teeth in the legal profession. Uh, made a mistake and told the judge, I, I don't have any corroboration to that. I mean, I've heard it and I've read it on Twitter, but but the Fox News story says they misrepresented who they were. It doesn't say that she said she was from the Ways and Means. I read on social media earlier this morning at about 5 o'clock that she not only misrepresented herself, she said she was from the Ways and Means legal team. Now, that I can't corroborate that with any of this uh, this other reporting but, you know, the truth will set you free, and eventually um, we'll get to the bottom of whatever. So uh, we, don't, we don't have direct confirmation that this was intentional. It, it's still out there. I mean, we don't know a lot. This well, is that, breaking now. We have confirmation that the Biden legal team said it was an honest mistake. Right. I mean, the only confirmation we have, the Biden legal team has released a statement saying, we're sorry for the unfortunate events. It was a mistake by a junior staffer. Um, you know, the, um, but, but once again, I don't have any corroboration that I trust. I mean, I've seen a lot of Twitter accounts. I've seen a lot of Facebook, but I don't have anything I trust, but I'm not a reporter. It doesn't matter to me. I'm an opinion monster. I mean, my opinion is Trump, excuse me. My opinion is Biden's a crook. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I mean, my opinion is not going to change whether this is corroborated or not. I mean, my opinion is Joe Biden got rich peddling influence. Joe Biden got rich by being bribed as a Senator and probably as a vice president. I don't need corroboration. I mean, I've got enough smoke there. But but once again, I'm not writing a report. I'm giving you my opinion. What have I said before, Josh? Doing this radio show is is a is an ex, it's kind of a uh, exercise in me giving my opinion. But but I think if you take the job serious enough, your opinion has to be substantiated with some degree of how you interpret the facts. And what you interpret the truth to be. Now, it doesn't mean I'm right all the time. Of course not. I mean, I'm wrong a lot. But my interpretation of the facts that have been presented and proposed leads me to believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that Joe Biden's a crook. And his son was kind of a shield. Uh, it's kind of interesting. I read something this morning. Let me get my hands on this. So, um, I mean, I was going to start the show with a bunch of smart-alecky content. But here the Bidens go again. 
um, <laughs> major art movements of the past 100 years. You ready? It's been like a David Letterman's top 10 list. Um, there's a guy named Iowa Hawk blog, uh, blog. He does a lot of sarcastic Twitters, uh, tweets on Twitter on X, I guess now, but he's got a uh, major art movements of the past 100 years. You ready? Distilled cubism, abstract expressionism, um, data, surrealism, color field, pop art, postmodernism. Meth addicts who pick up a paintbrush for the first time at age 50 and suddenly sell paintings to their father's friends for a million dollars each. Hmm. Th- those are the, um, the major art movements of the past 100 years. Yeah, you got, um, you got surrealism, you've got postmodernism, you've got abstract expressionism, and then you've got Hunter Biden, who has, for most of his adult life, been an addict, never painted until he turned 50, and now he's selling paintings for some, you know, three quarters of a million dollars. And, and we find out now one of the appointees, you know, one of Biden's appointees paid $750,000 for it. You can't make it up. And I go back to the theory I said yesterday, and I know I'm pounding the desk on this one. And I didn't originate, didn't originate with Wake Up Carolina, but it's gaining some traction out there amongst folks who do what we do, Josh. Biden believed his political career was over when Barack Obama left office and Donald Trump got sworn in. And oh, yeah. four years prior to that, Biden believed that the Democrats were going to let Hillary. You know, I mean, she didn't get her way because Obama, a, a charismatic, transformative American president, uh, uh, came on the scene, gave the speech at the DNC. He wins in 08. He wins in 2012. Uh, Biden kind of thought that would have been his time. Or, or, no, excuse me, Hillary thought that was... That was her time. That got delayed by eight years. So 2016, yeah, remember when Biden says that Bo tried to talk him into running for president and he chose not to? Well, he chose not to because the machine was so supportive of Hillary and there was no way he was going to beat Hillary Clinton. Well, I think at some time in Biden's second term as vice president, Obama's second term as president, he reached out to Hunter and said, we better make all we can make. I mean, we better do every, we've always been a bit shady. Nobody's paid close attention to us because we were this um, dunce of a senator from Delaware. So they didn't take us that seriously. Probably should have taken us that seriously. But we're the vice president now. And the president of the United States has entrusted in us some foreign affairs issues uh, because I'm a low old hand at this. I've done it a long time. Now, now back then, he was probably to some degree in cognitive decline, but he was not in free fall. I mean, he's probably slipping a bit, but he was not just as he is now. I mean, he's incoherent today. I mean, most days he doesn't know what he's doing or where he's doing it or what he's saying or, or who he's saying it about. But but then he probably had the majority of faculty still in place. And I think he went to Hunter and his family and said, look, um, in Biden's, excuse me, in Obama's second term as president, we better make all we can make. We better do everything we've got to do. I mean, you know, I want to be rich when I leave here. I want all of my family to be rich. And they just got reckless, careless, and stupid. And, and I mean, I think all of these accusations will prove to be true. I think they have peddled influence. I think they've been bribed by foreign nationals. Uh, I don't think there's any question about it. Uh, and, and eventually, I think we'll get to the bottom of it. And once again, will the Democrats come up with a counter-narrative? Because that's what the media pros are waiting on. I mean, the New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, uh, ABC, CBS, NBC, Salon, Huffington Post, MSNBC, CNBC, anybody but Fox and talk radio are waiting on the Democrats to give the media their cue 
that here is our strategic counter narrative. And up until now, nobody's come up with a strategic counter narrative because I think the Democrats are more interested in dumping Biden and replacing him with whomever. Now the quandary they have on their hands, their most loyal voting block is African-American females. And the only politician in Washington disliked more than Joe Biden is Kamala Harris. So hence the dilemma. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone, then we'll take a break. We have Williams calling from Orangeburg. Williams, you're on the line. Again, I don't understand why you say Biden the most corrupt president ever. When you got a president left the White House with razor wire around Capitol Hill, razor wire around it. Why is that? To keep the people out. Yeah, because to keep he's the a people damn out crook. of the people's house. I mean, that, that's why they had he's razor wire. Got, he, it's one of the most embarrassing got, visuals I've ever seen in my life. For razor, Nancy Pelosi asked for razor wire to be put around the people's house so the people couldn't get into their house. Because of that. Because of Trump. Trump caused a, a riot, tried to overthrow democracy. Have a good day. Thank you, Williams. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. Let, let's do this. Let, let's take a chart and put everything Trump's been accused of, and let's put a chart up of everything Biden's being accused of. And tell me who's more corrupt, mishandling classified information, taking $5 million from foreign national in exchange for shutting down an investigation, not just you getting $5 million, your kid gets $5 million. I mean, that, that's, I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. I think, I mean, you know, the, the oversight commission, excuse me, the IRS whistleblowers say $17 million. I think it's probably 50, 60, 70, 80, maybe even a hundred million dollars that the Bidens have, you know, been paid in exchange for influence within our government. Take a break back in just a few moments. You notice what Williams didn't do. What's that? He didn't defend Joe Biden. Ooh. I mean, he, he, he didn't say Biden's not a crook, but Trump is. He basically, what about ism? You know, what, what about if Biden's a crook? Trump's a bigger crook. The razor wire around the Capitol. I mean, I'll let you decide. Um, you know, and, and I talked to someone yesterday. I mean, I'll tell you, I talked to Robert Cahaley for a long time yesterday. And Robert believes that the Democrats are after blood. I mean, he, he, he says, I can't express to you how aggressive they're going to try and put Trump in prison. I mean, it, it was, I mean, it, he was so cold-hearted in, in the way he said it. That's his world. I mean, that's, that's Robert's world. Uh, I host a radio show and go do a lot of other things. Robert does nothing but politics. I mean, it's his life. It's his income. It's his existence. It's what he's about. It's in his DNA. Um, it's provided a, a, a life for him. I mean, it's, it's, um, he paged at the state house as a sophomore at the University of South Carolina, and he never left it. I mean, he consulted, he polled, he ran campaigns, he printed yard signs, he put up yard signs. I mean, his, in, his entire life is invested in the Republican Party, and he caught a break. They built a mousetrap that found the Trump voter better than any other mousetrap out there, and he knows the shelf life for being the, the best there is at it. It is not very long, and, and he benefited enormously from, you know, the building of that mousetrap. But Robert told me yesterday, he said, I don't think you guys understand what, what the Democrats are trying to do. I mean, they're trying to put Trump in prison until he dies. I mean, that's what they want to do. And if it doesn't work in Florida, 
Uh, we'll see if it works in New York. If it doesn't work in New York, we'll see if it works in, in nation's capital. I mean, you know, if it doesn't work there, try Georgia. I mean, there's going to be indictment after indictment, I believe. And I told Robert yesterday, you know, we expected, we had a target letter and we expected a formal indictment. We've not gotten that formal indictment as quickly as we thought we would. And I think they're waiting on this story. I mean, I think once some corroboration happens between Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and the media, I mean, the media is going to wait, but they're not going to wait forever. I mean, the media will take its cue from Democrat officials, but at some point in time, if the Democrats can't come up or choose to not come up with a coherent counter narrative, they'll run with the story. I mean, that, that they'll go with Biden's a crook because it's obvious the Democrat officials have given up on Biden and it's, you know, kind of like green light, you know, that that'll be the cue. If they can't come up with a, uh, a coherent counter narrative, that'll be the cue and they'll dump Biden. That's when I think you'll see the other indictment on Trump. I mean, I think they're holding the indictment. I think Jack Smith right now has everything sitting on go, ready to roll, but they're waiting to see when is the most opportune time to, to you know, to do the indictment, uh, execute the indictment based on the news around Hunter and Joe Biden. Let's steal the news for a day. I mean, it's a bigger deal. What is a bigger deal than Trump getting indicted? I mean, in the media's world, I'm not talking about in mine and your world. I mean, in mine and your world, we believe that the Bidens have made enormous amounts of money in the name of, you know, influence peddling or uh, selling influence, whatever, however you bribery, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's all kind of sort of the same uh, is pay for play, quid pro quo. But, but if Trump is indicted, the major news networks are anti-Trump, anti-Republican, anti-conservative, pro-progressive, pro-liberal, pro-Democrat. They'll run. I mean, that, that'll give them a week's worth of, you know, not paying attention to this issue with Hunter and Joe Biden. Take a break. Back in a few. Hey, and now would be a good time to say this, and, and I think it's important for Josh to hear this. What we do, conservative talk radio by its very nature is edgy. I mean, it's rambunctious. I've had people tell me um, they know we have a lot of listeners. They believe we move the meter, but they're nervous about associating because we're categorized as conservative talk radio, and that's a little bit too edgy for me and my business. That's a little too rambunctious, opinionated, out there for our business. I don't know um, how to explain that. I don't know how to defend that. I don't. I mean, it, politics is edgy. Politics is, is confrontational. Politics is, you know, you presenting your idea the best and most aggressive way you know how and me doing the same so there's naturally going to be some 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 resistance there i mean there is not going to be we're not standing up in the baptist church singing out of the hymnal everybody in in, in we're just not that's not what this is about i don't know that it's intentionally rambunctious or edgy but but it naturally gravitates to that because once again politics is high stakes people have very um very they have intense commitments to their opinions and and they care they care a great deal about what they believe in and how it operates or functions within within our government and um and I, i'm not i'm not saying it you know i'd love to be a less edgy less rambunctious form of you know what we do here but but by its nature it's going to be that i mean that's just that's where we are. That's who we are. That's what we do. I'm not apologizing for it. I'm not asking you to, to, to accept it as it is. But, but I think the one thing that we've proven consistently, and I want Josh to hear this, I think the one thing, and I think Josh and I were talking a second ago, I'm not going to intentionally mislead. 
I'm not going to intent. There are people that do this who have much larger audience and, and, and much larger paychecks than I do. But they will intentionally mislead. They say things they know to be untrue. They'll say it over and over and over again. And when it's found that what they said was untrue, they just kind of move on as if they never said it. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to apologize for being rambunctious and edgy. And I think in the first segment we were talking about, you know, the uh, the situation involving Hunter Biden's legal team. And I told Josh, um, I'm not going to say things that I know aren't true. Now, now what I said in the first hour, on, on more than one occasion, this has not been corroborated. I mean, here's a report. Here's something on Twitter. Take what it's take it for what it's worth when it's on Twitter. But it's not been corroborated by a news agency or a news service. Um, so, so you know, I don't I don't know that that makes us different than all the rest. But it's something I'm very comfortable in. I have been wrong. I have misled. I've never intentionally been wrong or intentionally misled. And we covered a story in the first hour that is a developing story. I mean, it's in real time. It's happening as we speak. It's hard to get that exactly right. But there were there are some people who do what I do that would say without a shadow of a doubt, somebody from the Biden legal team um, disguised themselves as somebody from the Ways and Means and misled a judge. It, it seems to me there's a chance that's true, but it can't be corroborated. It can't be substantiated. Nobody has said, uh, nobody's investigated and got to the bottom of it. And, and maybe that's where talk radio fails. When it takes some of these nuances or, or half-truths and turns them into complete and total truths. And I, I'm just not going to do that. I mean, I, I'm not going to do that. I, I think, you know, um, yes, yes, I have been wrong. Yes, I have misled. I have never intentionally misled or intentionally been wrong. And I think we had a perfect opportunity to intentionally mislead this morning. Say, saying there are multiple reports to corroborate with one another that the Biden legal team had a, uh, a member of it call the, the judge or the judge's office and disguise themselves as as uh, members of the Ways and Means legal team trying to get some um, uh, some uh, some action taken, some amicus briefings removed or or adversarial filings and uh, adverse filings. And, and you know, I, but but I just I just think talk radio would do itself a great service if it were not intentionally misleading. I mean, you're not going to get it right every time. I, I, once again, I've gotten it wrong many, many, many times. My opinion and my interpretation of what I believe to be true has been wrong on more than one occasion. But but I'm not going to sit behind this microphone and say something that that would gin you up and know it's not true. I, I'm just not going to do that. But I mean, if that's required of the job, they'll find somebody else to do the job. And there's a difference, Josh, in misleading and intentionally misleading. Well, you mm-hmm. remember last week when you said such and such. Well, it proved to not be the case. Okay. It, it proved to not be the case. But I didn't know it wasn't the case last week. I mean, we know today. I'm not apologizing because we'd spend a lot of our time apologizing for things we've said and opinions we've held. And uh, and, and they're, they're, they're not turning out to be uh, the way things were. But, but the guys that do this in the most grand fashion, they're wrong far more than I want to be wrong. And they just blow past being wrong. Like it doesn't matter. I mean, a couple in particular that, that say things Wednesday that, that they I, they got to know it's not true. I mean, I know it's not true, or I know it can't be substantiated, and, and they say it as if it's, it's, it's just, you know, it's etched in blood. I mean, it's, it's ironclad. I mean, it, it, this is the deal. And then Friday, instead of, you know, kind of in a, in a retrospective way or an introspective way, 
they just blow past it like they never they never said it. And maybe that's okay with you, but it ain't okay uh, with me. 843-661-0937. Uh, I, I want to go to, this is not my material. This is, I'm, I'm stealing this from Powerline. Uh, powerlineblog.com is where I go. Uh, John Hinderocker is the writer of this. Um, and he says, imagine this conversation because we're talking about the line. I mean, I don't know. Maybe the amicus briefing that the, the Biden lawyers didn't want as part of the filing this morning, maybe that is the line of demarcation where it stops being as much about Hunter Biden and becomes all about, about Joe Biden. Don't know that. I'm speculating because um, I'm a paying attentionist, and paying attentionists tend to pick up on things like that. Uh, maybe somebody from the White House, somebody from the Biden campaign said, hey, um, you know, we don't need that information being made public in some sort of filing. We just don't need that. That's more problems than, than we can ask for. And maybe they coaxed a young staffer into doing something that she probably regrets now. But but anyway, that's water under the bridge. But um, but but somebody said, imagine this conversation. I mean, this is in Powerline. Um, imagine, and, and I'll go, you know, Hunter Joe, Hunter Joe. Ready? Hunter says, Dad, good news. Barisma Holdings is going to pay me a million dollars a year to be on their board of directors. Joe, that's great, son. And here I thought you would never amount to anything. With all, uh, what with spending all of your time and money on drugs and prostitutes? But tell me, son, what is Barisma? Hunter, Barisma is a natural gas company in Ukraine. Joe, and you're going to be on their board? But the board conducts its business in Ukrainian, doesn't it? Are you learning to speak that language? Hunter, of course not, but don't worry. I don't have to actually attend any meetings or read any of the board materials. Joe, so did they hire you for your natural gas expertise? Hunter, come on, Dad. You know I have never worked in the natural gas industry or had anything to do with natural gas, and science has never exactly been my strong point or business for that matter. Joe, but Hunter, if you don't know anything about the industry, and you can't speak Ukrainian, and to be honest with you, you rarely put in an honest day's work in your life. What makes you worth the million dollars a year? But I mean, that's the conversation that a father, a loving father, would have with their kid. Now, he colored it up a bit, you know, with the, uh, you never done an honest day's, I doubt a parent would say that to a kid. But I mean, come on, dad. You know I've never worked in the natural gas industry or had anything to do with natural gas, and science has never been exactly my strong point or business for that matter. And, and a father is obligated to say, son, if you don't know anything about the industry and you, speak, you can't speak Ukrainian, what makes you worth a million dollars a year? I mean, why are they paying you a million dollars a year? Um, I mean, influence peddling is a polite term for bribery. I mean, it really and truly is. Um, and when you read section uh, section 18 U.S. Code 1, uh, excuse me, U.S. Code 201, um, I mean, it lists bribery as grounds for impeachment, specifically. Treason, bribery, I mean, that, that, those are crimes for impeachment. That's in the, in the Constitution specifically. I mean, it's not, you know, you got to, is he a constitutionalist or not? No, bribery and treason are listed. And I understand the Democrats and whataboutism. I mean, Williams did that a second ago. Whataboutism. I mean, what about Trump? You know, what about the indictments and the impeachments? What, what about what Trump did? What about the razor wire 
around. I mean, there is it's unfathomable to believe that anything Trump done, anything Trump may or may not have done, rivals a family bribing a foreign government. In other words, we will shut this investigate. We'll have this investigation shut down if you pay me and my father $5 million each. I mean, is that how the conversation, I don't have any idea. I don't know what the conversation um, went like. I do know that the black lesbian is no longer saying that Joe knows nothing about her son's or his son's dealings. I mean, she's now saying he's never been in business with his son. Um, There's going to be a, Devin Archer will appear in a transcribed interview Monday with the House uh, Oversight Committee. And in the committee, it's reported, once again, it's reported that he's going to recount a meeting December 4, 2015 at the Four Seasons Resort in Dubai. I mean, specifically that meeting. And they're talking about um, a $5 million payment to Hunter Biden, a $5 million payment to Joe Biden. Specifically, um, December 4, 2015. Who was the vice president of the United States on December 4, 2015? Joe Biden. Okay. If Joe Biden was the vice president on December 5, excuse me, December 4, 2015, and his son was sitting at a table with Ukrainian nationals at the Four Seasons Resort in Dubai, and the foreign nationals didn't take Hunter Biden at his word, and one said, can you phone your father? Can you, can you conference call your dad and get him in this conversation? And Hunter said, of course I can. And he calls from Dubai. Joe picks up the phone. Now, it's probably one of these track phones. But I mean, that, that gets around some of the, um, some of the records keeping. You know, the, the White House has to archive and memorialize phone calls and visits and whatnot. But if Biden's got a burner phone, you know, he's kind of, um, that's in his pocket. I mean, I think that's where we are. I really and truly believe that Joe Biden had his own phone and Hunter knew to call Joe on that phone when there's chances to get paid. You know, we're doing the, the, we're doing the state business and the government's business on this phone, on this line, because once again, they're monitored, that they've got to be, uh, the minutes have got to be taken. Um, but I've got this other phone, and if you ever need me, call me on this other phone. So, so imagine this. I mean, let, let's, let's walk through a hypothetical scenario. Once again, we don't know this to be true. This is what Devin Archer is going to present as a fact under oath before the House Oversight Committee this Monday. Won't be a public hearing, but it'll be transcribed. We'll get our hands on uh, so some of the um, so some of the uh, some of the accountings of what happened in that meeting. But December 4, 2015, at the Four Seasons Resort in Dubai, Hunter Biden called his dad after being asked by Ukrainian foreign nationals, can you get your dad on the phone? Now, now I'm, I'm offering up as my opinion the reason they wanted daddy on the phone, they didn't trust Hunter. I mean, they knew Hunter was the conduit, but he's a bit of a klutz. He may or may not have been an addict. He may or may not have had a prostitute with him. We don't know any of that. But, but I believe that two of the foreign nationals, I mean, if it was a $100,000 bribe, they probably wouldn't have demanded Daddy get on the phone. But you're talking about $10 million. I mean, you're talking about a $5 million shakedown for Hunter and a $5 million shakedown for the big guy. So, so, so Devin Archer is going to, under oath, say that Hunter Biden called his dad on December 4, 2015, 
to confirm that business will be taken care of as Hunter says it is. Name a scandal bigger than that. I mean, I'm serious. I mean, try, try to be open-minded here. I mean, you got razor wire, you got indictments for, you got January 6th, you got, you know, mishandling classified documents. Tell me a bigger scandal than a guy who has said since day one as a candidate for president, I knew nothing about my business dealings, my son's business dealings. I had nothing to do with my son's business dealings. Well, Devin Archer is going to say, you're, you're a liar. Not only are you a liar, you've been bribed. You're on the take. You've shaken down foreign nationals. And, and we're talking about mishandling classified information. It's a little bit like Jim Mora playoffs. Playoffs or Allen Iverson practice. You've heard that. You're talking about practice? We're talking about practice here. Um, it, it's, I think the, the proper response is classified material. We're talking about classified material. Mishandling classified documentation, that that ain't baby, you know what, up alongside what, I mean, I'm using a Buford T. Justice reference here. I mean, if Devin Archer's telling the truth, and we've got corroboration, I mean, we got RS whistleblowers who said we were not allowed to investigate, but to a certain point, and the DOJ shut us down. That's the biggest scandal of my lifetime. There's not another moment in American presidential history that rivals that. Now, I don't remember American politics pre-Civil War. I don't America. I don't remember. I mean, I've never studied much on, I mean, I've studied the founders. I've studied Lincoln. I've studied FDR and the New Deal. Believe it or not, I've studied LBJ and the Great Society and civil rights legislation. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know that a president has ever been as seriously implicated as Biden could be if this is indeed the case, guys. And I don't want to be, uh, I guess I do want to be hyperbolic in in some weird way. We may have kind of an organized crime family in the White House. I mean, if if these accusations are true, you've got multiple accusations in multiple different places and fronts and facets. You've got bank records. You've got LLCs. You've got offshore bank accounts. You've got wiring money from Ukrainian, Romanian, Russian, Chinese governments into these uh, offshore bank accounts. We believe, I've not seen evidence of this. Jim Comer's led me to believe he's got evidence that once the money made its way into one of these accounts, it was then dispersed to other accounts in the name of Jim Biden, Haley Biden, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, you know, name a Biden, I'll name you a bank account. I, I just think that's where we're headed. And, and, to, to even more strongly suggest that I'm barking up the right tree, the Democrats have not come up with a counter-narrative. And, and I think the reason the media is waiting is for the Democrats. I mean, that's where they take their cue. I said it last hour. I'll stand by that. The media professionals take their cue from Democrat officials. And the Democrat officials have yet to come up with a coherent counter-narrative that can be believed and trusted in by the American people. But the American people are gullible. So, so there's probably a way to kind of talk them out of believing. But, but I just think there's so much smoke here. I mean, there's one story, and then there's another story. And on the day the son is to be uh, charged, formally charged, and convicted of the, um, the pardon that they call a plea, we find out that their law firm may have called the court, called the judge's office, may have misrepresented themselves as being of the Ways and Means Committee. We can't corroborate that. 
We know they called and misrepresented themselves. They've apologized and said it was a miscommunication. I mean, the judge has given them a little period of time to kind of clean that up. But, but there's some accounts out there that say she didn't, she, she not only didn't say I'm with the Hunter Biden law firm, she said I'm with the Ways and Means. And can we get some of this information um, off the record? Can some of these adverse filings be removed before we do our plea? That That's, wow. I mean, it gets deeper and deeper and more corrupt and more corrupt and more corrupt as time goes by. And, and once again, either everybody else is lying and Joe Biden's telling the truth, or Joe Biden is the most corrupt president in modern American political political history. I believe the latter. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a few. Man, I really wish, I mean, it, th- these names are what makes this so difficult. So, so December 4, 2015, Four Seasons Resort, Dubai, um, Hunter Biden, uh, Devin Archer, and then there were a senior Burisma executive, uh, Vadman Pozharski, Burisma founder, and then, I mean, he's CEO at the time, uh, Mikola Jovetsky, uh, let me try that again, Jolevsky, Jolevsky, um, anyway, um, the, the the Burisma executives asked Hunter to phone his father. Can you ring your dad? I mean, this is what Devin Archer is going to testify under oath. Now, now, remember when Joe Biden said you're not getting the billion dollars? I mean, th- there was a there was a prosecutor investigating Burisma, and he was c- kind of a badass. I mean, he was really investigating Burisma for some, uh, just some uh, un, untoward business dealings. Burisma needed that replaced. I mean, they needed that guy off the case. They, they needed another prosecutor, you know, d- d- doing the job. And that's when Biden, remember, I mean, Biden said it himself. When, when, when the guy said, you, you're not the president, you don't control the billion dollars. I mean, it's almost like, how dumb can you be? And remember Trump called, Pelosi said yesterday that once Trump called the Ukrainian leader suggesting, basically digging dirt on whether Biden did what Biden said he did, because he said he did it. I mean, he said, I want that guy fired. I want that prosecutor fired. And if he's not fired, you're not getting the billion dollars. Well, I mean, all of this plays into the same because we're talking about Burisma. So, So Hunter Biden said, my dad can get this prosecutor fired, but we can't do it for 100 grand. I mean, you're talking about a, a Ukrainian prosecutor be, be thrown to the wolves because your company's corrupt and taking advantage of some of whatever is happening in Ukraine. I mean, it, it's wild that we trust Ukraine. I mean, that, that's, that's beyond belief to me, that we're still sending hundreds of millions, billions of dollars to Ukraine saying, hey, guys, just whip the Russians. I mean, I'm not sure yeah. what you're doing with the, with the assets and the money, but just whip the Russians. Uh, you may be bad, but you're not as bad as the as the Russians are, and and once again, we need more pay attentionist because we're not conspiracy theorists, guys. We're paying attentionist is what we are, and I mean I, I don't take credit for that. Somebody put that on on Twitter yesterday. So you've got you've got Biden saying clearly to the American Foreign Council that I'm not giving the billion dollars until you fire the prosecutor. The 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 response is well, you're not the president. And he says, well, call, call him, call the president. He's giving me authority. I mean, he says it right. I mean, it's, it's not like we're making things up. And the prosecutor was investigating Burisma for 
business activities that are untoward. I mean, it would get real complicated trying to understand it. So in December of 2015, Hunter Biden is meeting with one of the top Burisma executives and the Burisma founder and then CEO. And during the conversation, Devin Archer's there. I mean, the guy that's going to appear before the uh, House Oversight Committee Monday, he's there. And he says that, you know, the Burisma executives asked Hunter to phone your dad. In, in other words, if we're going down this road, we're not taking your word on it. I mean, we need the big guy to confirm that this is going to happen. And I got no idea who negotiated the $5 million each. I have no idea. You know, I mean, what was that? The Burisma executive's number? Was it Hunter Biden's number? Was it Joe Biden's number? I don't have any idea. But the accusation is, after the phone call, Burisma paid Hunter and Joe Biden $5 million each. For what? For what? Natural gas advice? <laughs> I mean, seriously. I, I don't, no, you know, no. You're as, right. as a conduit to get the money to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation? Now, now, see, that's the central question. Where is the paper trail? Is there a paper trail that leads where the $5 million, $10 million came from and where the $10 million ended up? I mean, that, that to me, that's the, once this door is knocked down, once we've established that, that Devin Archer, and Devin Archer's got some history. I mean, he's, um, he's accused of swindling an Indian reservation or Indian tribe out of about $50 million in bond revenue. I mean, so he's not, it's just the kind of person Hunter hung around with, right? I mean, Hunter's not a legitimate business guy. Why would Hunter hang around with other legitimate, but why would a legitimate business person, I mean, Tony Bobolinsky said, he made me nervous every time I was around him. But Bobolinsky, see, that's another story. Remember Bobolinsky interviewed by Tucker Carlson? And, and, and Tony Bobolinsky said, Joe knew all this. I mean, Joe was called more than one time. Either every Bobolinsky's lying, Devin Archer's lying, IRS whistleblowers are lying, and a confidential human source is lying, uh, some FBI informants are lying, some other employees at the IRS who corroborate, you know, what, um, what they said David Weiss said in, in the meeting that he didn't have the authority to investigate as fully as he lied. Either everybody is lying or Joe Biden is, uh, is the liar. It can't be both ways. I mean, there, there can't be a misconstruing of this story or that story. No, somebody's telling the truth and somebody's lying. And every nugget of information comes out, corroborates what Tony Bobolinsky said three years ago. So let me ask, because you mentioned a couple months ago, you know, we've been talking about this Hunter Biden story for a while. Not this specific one, but about the Biden potential corruption. So... You said that you think um, they want to get rid of him. They don't want him to run for re-election. They didn't want him to run to begin with. That's why Susan Rice left the White House. I'm convinced of that. They went to Joe Biden. The Obama acolytes went to Joe Biden and said, hey, man, you're in rougher shape than we thought you were. I mean, you're falling down. You, you, you can't put a couple of sentences together. You know, you, you were, we basically chose you because you gave us the best chance to beat Donald Trump. He was the safest play. Bingo. I mean, he's a Northeast liberal. He's got a career of being normal. They sold the American people on, let's put a normal politician back in charge and things will get back to normal. This crazy chaos Trump brings, uh, it's just too chaotic. It's too crazy. And, and a lot of people bought that. A lot of independents believed that Joe Biden was a safer bet, uh, a more sane bet. How many times do we hear the word normal? I mean, let's put a mm. normal man back in the White House. Um, so they sold the American people, uh, independents and moderates. They sold the Americans that, um, you know, yeah, Trump 
His economy does okay. COVID came along, and we'll argue whether that was a conspiracy or not. I don't know how much of that was um, to hinder Trump from getting reelected. I mean, we'll never know the answer to that. You've got an opinion. I've got an opinion. Everybody's got an opinion about COVID and um, and how much of that was to diminish Trump's ah, good economy. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, I mean I, we had a pandemic. I mean, there's no doubt about that. What was the pandemic intentional? You know, what was that? Was the lab leak just um? I mean, Trump even says he doesn't think the lab leak was intentional. He thinks the lab leak was, you know, just incompetence, a mistake made by a virology lab. Um, but that's going all the way back in the beginning. the The American people, independents, bought into um, Trump is too abnormal. Biden is more normal, and right. I, I'm ready for some normal. I mean, I'm, I'm tired. This cat wears me out. I mean, this this cat just wears me out. He's, he's always into something. He's always got something stirred up, something going on. I mean, I, I've heard a thousand Republicans tell me that. Man, if he'd only settle down a bit. I mean, he has a grasp of the issues. Maybe he's not reverent. Maybe he's not as respectful and presidential as we'd like guys to be. But but he put very pragmatic policies in place. He got a good grasp of the economy. I talked to people in banking. I mean, the, the regulators that regulated banks felt that he understood their business. I've talked to people in manufacturing, the regulators at EPA and, and OSHA and some of these other government agencies that have oversight over the, um, you know, the business world, that they felt he put reasonably reasonable, practical people in places of authority and power, and they worked with them. You know, you got a problem with whatever, with EPA or, or you know, um, DOT, whomever. I mean, you know, we, he had reasonable business-minded people in the, in the cabinet, but, but Trump kept something stirred up. And it wore on people. And people got nervous and concerned and bothered by it. Now, now forget the corrupt consulting class. I mean, we'll get to that in just a minute. I mean, they, their motivation was financial. But but a lot of the independent voters were just tired of the abnormal. It, it's, it's kind of been fun. And, yes, he did a pretty good job on the economy. And, and I don't know what we should have done with the pandemic. I mean, who does know what we should have done? Trump probably got some things right and other things he didn't do so well. But but just the the the... The Democrats sold America, independence in America, that this guy's going to be normal. And we got we got to get our government back to a place of, of normalcy. And and Biden was the guy. So Biden wins the primary with the blessings of Jim Clyburn in South Carolina. African American votes overwhelmingly kind of, you know, came to the rescue of of um of Joe Biden. So I believe that Susan Rice or somebody in her circle went to Jim and I went to Joe and Jill and said, you know, let's call it a day. I mean, Gavin Newsom's out there. Um, Kamala's here. You know, that there's a way we can sell something other than you. And I think Jill balked. I mean, I, I don't know that Joe clearly understands day by day what he's doing or where he is. I mean, I'm sorry. I just don't, you know, I think they, I think they medicate the guy when they know he's got a big moment and the lights are bright. And I think the cycles of medication wear off. And I think at times when he does one of these ad-lib, impromptu, uh, not, not a press conference, he doesn't do that. They're not crazy enough to allow this guy to go an hour and, and really face the media without knowing who the questionnaire and what the questions are. I mean, they're not going to let that guy do that. I mean, it's, it's pretty bizarre that the most powerful country on the planet has a leader that can't be trusted to answer questions from you know, 29, 30, 35-year-old members of the White House press corps, but that's where we are. So I believe, Josh, that somebody in the Obama world went to Joe and Jill and said, you know, 
Um, thank you for your service. We beat Trump. It's time for you to ride off in the sunset. And he balked, or maybe she balked more than he did, because I'm not sure he's coherent enough to really understand the complexities of running again. Um, I'm not sure he really wants to run again. Well, he's not running again. He didn't run the first time. I mean, the, 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 the most relevant moment in Biden's campaign was when the, remember the black podcaster interviewed him and he said, if you ain't black, you know, if you ain't voting, if you're voting for Trump over me, you ain't black enough or you ain't really black or something. I mean, that happened in his basement. They had a little studio set up and he was doing these podcasts and these, um, I mean, he didn't do many public appearances because he's not in any condition to do many public appearances. I mean, campaigning's a grind. I mean, it wears on the best of us. I mean, I'm kind of a young, fairly, fairly well, I mean, I'm, I'm not in Biden's condition and campaigning beats you up. I mean, you're in city and another city, a speech and another speech. I mean, it's uh, it's it's um, it's it's Monday night in Greenville and Tuesday morning in Myrtle Beach. I mean, imagine what it is running for president. I mean, it's Texas on Tuesday, it's Illinois on Wednesday, it's New York on Thursday, it's a fundraiser in San Francisco Thursday night, it's back in Denver Friday morning. I mean, it's a grind. I mean, it's kind of a glorious job, but it's a grind. I mean, there is. I mean, it's not a lot of fun at times campaigning and and be and being a candidate. But, but I think Susan Rice may have been the one that Obama said, go go talk to Joe and let's see if we can get Gavin Newsom in line or, you know, or Kamala or whomever. I mean, it's just it's obvious he's not up for the job. And he balked or she balked, probably Jill. And now we're running again. I mean, we're the president. We've got a right to make that call. We're running again. And I think that's when Susan Rice left. I think she was frustrated. I don't know that. I mean, I don't have Susan Rice's cell phone number. I don't have Barack Obama's cell phone number. If I did, they wouldn't take my call. But I think that's what I think that's what went down. And I think once he told Susan Rice, or once Jill Biden told Susan Rice, we're running again, they said, okay, you're kind of sort of on your own. And that's why I don't think the Democrats have been completely committed to this coherent counter-narrative that the media folks and the media professionals are waiting on because the media professionals will take their cue from the Democrat Party and they will do whatever they need to do to beat Trump or whomever the Republican nominee is. And it looks to me like it's going to be it's going to be Trump. We'll get to that in just a few seconds. But, but the point I'm making, and maybe Susan Rice knew some of this, uh, I would imagine she did. I mean, Rice probably knew that there's trouble headed our way. You know, that we've got these accusations, we've got these whistleblowers. We, there are no secrets in Washington. I mean, they're kept from us. We don't get to know about them, but they're not kept from one another. I mean, if you're inside the belly of the beast, so to speak, um, Susan Rice knew that there was a December 4, 2015 meeting at the Four Seasons. You can bet your sweet ass that Susan Rice knew, if anybody knew, that Devin Archer was at the meeting. There was a chance if the Republicans got control of the House and chair the oversight committee. There's a chance some of these revelations are made public. I mean, I'm just taking you inside the game. That's the way the game is played, and, and here we are. And, and to me, the fundamental question, and I've always said this, Josh, where does it stop being about Hunter and start being about Joe? Right. And it seems to me the earliest known date, could have been earlier than this, they bought a house owned by the DuPonts in the 80s, but it seems to me the, 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 the line in the sand is December 4, 2015, at the Four Seasons Resort in Dubai when the Barisma executive said, if we're doing a $10 million deal, we're not taking your word on it. We need the big guy on the phone. And Hunter Biden called his dad, and his dad said, you can trust Hunter on this. 
will take care. They fired the prosecutor. Ukraine got the billion dollars, and I believe Hunter and Joe Biden both received $5 million each. 843-661-0937. Let's take a break. We'll be back on the other side. I know we got a call. We'll get to you as soon as we return. 843-661-0937. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. We have Jason calling from Marion. Jason, you're on the air. Good morning there, Ken. Um, I'm not sure if you heard um, the speech Roger Stone gave about a month ago. And I, I kind of really didn't understand who Roger Stone was until I kind of looked into him a little bit. But he's been in the politics for a long time. And he was talking that Joe Biden will not be the nominee in 2024. And he goes on through his speech about they're going to, you know, make him exit stage left and Kabbalah will be president for a short period of time. And the only way to get rid of Kabbalah is to have another female um, black candidate. And that's why um, Michelle Obama is going to be the, you know, candidate for 2024. Now, I don't know. He seems very adamant in his um, prediction on this, and I don't know what kind of qualifications he has to make this kind of prediction. But if that, if let's just say that comes true, that would kind of scare me a little bit because I think she could really um, position herself to the, you know, female voter. And I think that would be a very um, difficult time for the Republicans. Have you heard that speech? And what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Or what do you take, what's your take on that? Thank you, Jason. Appreciate that. I've not heard that particular speech. I'm familiar with Roger Stone. Uh, Stone was a Nixon disciple. Uh, goes way back. He and Manafort had a consulting business together. I mean, at one time, they were part of that corrupt consulting class that I think has just, just so harmed uh, the Republican Party, um, skimming and grifting and all these other um, sorts of things. Stone's a smart guy. He's a contrarian. Um, you would expect him to kind of gravitate toward the Trump movement because it would be out of the mainstream. It would be a bit controversial, Stone. Um, I'll tell you this. If you want to know a little bit about Roger Stone, go to Netflix and search for Get Me Roger Stone. I mean, that's the name of the documentary, Get Me Roger Stone. And it kind of walks you through his um, political existence from um, from the beginning until whenever the, uh, the documentary was made. But, um, you know, th- there's... I, I, I can see a scenario. I can't see any scenario that Michelle Obama runs. I just can't. I think they're making too much money. That uh, They're enjoying life. There's a chance she would lose. You potentially diminish the Obama brand. I just think that's one of the most um, valuable political brands in the world right now, the Obama brand. I don't like it. I don't care anything for it. But it's easy for the Obamas to make money. Um, and I just don't think Michelle or, or Barack would be willing to put that at risk. I, I just don't. Uh, the um, what, what do they get out of her becoming president when they already kind of sort of run the right house anyway? I mean, I, I've argued the, the Obamas kind of have the perfect setup. They've got a diminished old white man, you know, that, that you know, if he does something stupid, you can say, well, they don't know any better because he's old and he's feeble and he's in cognitive decline. So the Obamas kind of have the best of both worlds. They're able to spend time at the Hilton, excuse me, the Hamptons, or at um or in Hawaii or do do whatever it is they do. I mean they're you know they're they're a socialist, but they enjoy the benefits of capitalism enormously. So I just don't now. There's a scenario that I see Susan Rice being the African American female of choice. 
I mean, there, there is a scenario. I don't know how to work that out in my head. Robert and I talked a little bit about it last night. Um, I think Stone's right that the Democrats are turning on uh, Biden. And, and I think Stone's right to say there's a pretty good chance he's not the nominee. I looked at the, um, at the RCP betting averages this morning. It's still about 59%. I mean, he's got a 59% chance of winning uh, the Democrat nomination. Why is that not 90? I mean, they, you know, he's at 65% of the polling or 62% in the polling, and he's got a 59% chance of winning. I mean, a part of that, I mean, I, I would imagine to some degree, Josh, part of baking the cake is the fact that he may not live to November of 2024. I mean, I'm not wishing anybody's death or demise, but that's got to be on the table. It doesn't seem like he, he's not in a good way. No, not, not at all. I mean, he's a very, very diminished man. Um, but, but I just don't think the Obamas would give up what they have for Michelle to run uh, for president. I can see Susan Rice becoming the African-American female of choice. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. You know, we've established some fact and some speculation. I mean, there's some of this that we are um, more sure of that, than others. I mean, we're, we're pretty sure that the IRS whistleblowers are telling the truth. They seem to be credible people. They're putting a lot at risk to tell a lie. I mean, I don't understand why they would expose themselves to this if they weren't genuinely interested in doing um, the right thing. I'm not saying every hour. I mean, you see where I'm headed here. But but it's it's in, we, we used the Clinton analogy or comparison earlier this week about I did not have sexual relations with that woman um, and then he ended up having a blood test for DNA sampling, found out the blue dress and the semen. And anyway, it got nasty, and uh, it was a little bit sensational because there was an intern and a female, and you've got a young female intern and an older, powerful politician. I mean, that always makes for an interesting storyline. I mean, that's Hollywood 101. And even um, even the most disinterested becomes somewhat interested because, once again, there's a storyline not about policy, not about party, not about partisanship, but rather a man, a woman, power, influence, sex. Into, you see where I'm headed. I mean, that, that gets real interesting to most Americans. I, you know, it's just it's a little bit like the um, yeah, when, when you go by a car wreck, you're, you're sad there's a car wreck, but the curiosity overwhelms and you almost run off the road, rubbernecking, trying to see exactly what happened there. So, so in the Clinton era, and let's call it that. In the Clinton era, there was a liberal media. I mean, there's no doubt about it, but there was not a uh, 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 media and journalism professional at every on every corner that was waiting to get their cue from the Democrat Party. I mean, it was liberal. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And had it been a Republican, they would have, you know, pounced quicker and harder and and written more negative stories. But but even then, I mean, in the Clinton era, the 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 journalistic obligation or commitment remained at some level part of their job. Today, I question that. I mean, I, I really and truly wonder how many journalists have a genuine interest in getting it right. I think they've been coached and conned into believing Republicans are bad. Uh, for the betterment of mankind of the country I live in, uh, helping elect Republicans, or excuse me, helping defeat Republicans and electing Democrats c- kind of makes me a better person. 
the ends justify the means. Sure, I mean, that, that, and, and they, there's a kind of a self-justification there. I know it's not my job to advantage one party over the other, but in the name of the betterment of humanity, my calling is to make the world a better place. The way I make the world a better place is to help defeat Republicans and elect and elect Democrats. Now, now that that existed in Clinton's period, but it was not like it is today. I mean, it's no. I mean, once again, I believe that media professionals wait to get their cues from Democrat officials, and that becomes kind of the counter narrative. Now, now that's that's why I think Trump Biden's got big trouble. Because the media has waited a long time on this counter narrative. And it's got to be coherent. I mean, it can't be just a handful of you know whatever and throw against the wall and hope a little bit sticks here and there. But but here's what I find so revealing, Josh. So let's assume. Mm-hmm. I mean, for argument's sake, let, let's let's just go down this road, hypothetically. Let's say that all of these charges are true. Okay. That, that the, the the Biden family is somewhat of a, you know, it's, it's kind of an extension of uh, the, the Gambino crime family. You know, it's just, um, it, it's mafioso-like, but it's in the federal government, not the streets of New York or Sicily or, or wherever. So, 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 you know, I'm not saying it's all true, but, but let's speculate for a second. Let, let's say that the whistleblowers are telling the truth, the Burisma executives are telling the truth, the confidential human source is telling the truth, the FBI informant is telling the truth. Um, Devin Archer is telling the truth. Tony Bobolinsky is telling the truth. Now, every one of those people may be lying. Right. But their stories support one another. I think we all agree. At some level, all of their stories, they don't corroborate because they're talking about different things in different places, but they support the narrative of the Bidens are crooks. Bobolinsky said it a long time ago. Here's my concern. If we establish that the Bidens are crooks, I think we're in the process of establishing that. I think there's going to be information that, that we, we, we gather time and time again that convinces more and more Americans that Joe Biden has been a crooked politician for most of his life. I think that's where we'll end up. I mean, it'll be more complicated to get there, but that's where we end up. Here's the question I think you've got to ask yourself. So, so the media is more liberal than it's ever been. Maybe the members of the media are not malicious, but rather altruistic. Maybe they genuinely believe that if they help defeat Republicans and help Democrats win elections, they're making the world a better place. Maybe, I mean, I'm, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt that they're not malicious, but, but rather, you know, that they're altruistic, that they're doing this for the betterment of mankind and, you know, that they can kind of hide behind that guy, so to speak. But but my, my concern is, and I'll go back to December of 2019. In I mean, it's, it's fairly well established now that in December 2019, the FBI had authenticated the Hunter Biden laptop. I mean, they knew the laptop at the repair shop in Delaware. They knew it was legit. I mean, it was real. Um, it had a lot of damaging details implicating Joe Biden in several and different degrees of corruption. Um, But then the FBI spent the majority of the months leading up to November of 2020 trying to convince Twitter and Facebook and the media in general 
that the laptop was not real. Right. It had all the markings. So, so, so my point is the Bidens are crooks, but is the FBI, DOJ, IRS, I mean, is everybody willing to go down with them? I, well, I don't think they that they think they're going to go down. I mean, the FBI. Well, I mean, we're not going to fire every FBI agent. We shouldn't. I mean, I'm sure there are good and decent people. To about. The point I'm trying to make is if, if Joe Biden is a crook, I mean, if, if you're the FBI uh-huh. and you're in a position to make a call, I'm not talking about the rank and file FBI agent. I'm talking about some of the political hierarchy. If you're the FBI and you get your hands on this laptop and it's authenticated, and it has a lot of information that damages the Biden family. I mean, it leads FBI, it leads the the uh, the superiors of the FBI to believe that Joe Biden may be a crook. You believe it's it's in the country's best interest to try and go to Twitter and ask them to 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 basically censor. I mean, remember this: Twitter didn't go to the FBI. I mean, Twitter didn't go to the FBI and say, hey, there's this Miranda Devine from the New York Post uh, putting things on her Twitter, and we can't authenticate or not. We don't know if it's true or not. We can't substantiate these stories or not. What what do you think we should do with them? I mean, we're the the digital town hall, right? I mean, we have millions and billions and billions of users. I mean, there, there are a billion tweets a day, and this story could become very mainstream and could be damaging to, you know, Democrat nominee Biden, uh, advantageous to Republican. But, but see, that's my concern. It's not whether Biden is corrupt or not. I mean, I, I'm concerned about that, of course. I mean, I, you know, I don't want the president to be corrupt. I, I don't want the, the president to be guilty of taking bribes from foreign nationals. I mean, I think we're going to find that. And that, that is, I mean, of course that bothers anybody. But what bothers me more is what the FBI, DOJ have chosen to do. That, that's more concerning to me because, once again, these are institutions that will endure. They will – we're going to have an FBI no matter if Biden or Trump are the president. We're going to have a DOJ no matter whether Biden or Trump are the president. And if we so corrupted the, uh, the, 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 the makeup, I mean, the, the, the bones of these organizations, and, and how do you repair that? If, if the FBI knew in December of 2019 that the Hunter Biden laptop was real – it was not Russian disinformation. It was not campaign fodder. It was a real laptop and had incriminating and damaging details about um, basically implicating Joe Biden in a corruption scheme. I mean, the, the, you know, that, that's where we found the, the WhatsApp where, you know, if you don't do what you say you're going to do, my dad's going to be mad. And the last thing you want to make is my dad mad. My dad and his friends get mad. Things don't go well. You need to do what you said you were going to do. Transfer the money now. We're waiting on the money. My dad is sitting here with me. I mean, that's on the laptop. That's where the WhatsApp was found. I mean, remember the IRS whistleblowers. So, so, so my point is, and my concern is, how corrupt are these organizations? How politically motivated? How can you have a nation with a government to be, I mean, we're talking about man governing man. Here we go with the philosophical argument. So we're living in a place where man governs man. And we cast ballots for one man or another, one woman or another, one candidate over over another. But we've got these th- these organizations within the federal government that have unbelievable influence over all of our lives, whether it's private sector, public sector. Uh, no, nobody wants the FBI 
knocking on their door. Nobody wants the IRS knocking on their door. Nobody wants the, the DOJ knocking on their door. And, and we have serious concerns about whether they're legitimately pursuing the truth. I mean, that, that's a much bigger story than whether Hunter and Joe Biden are crooks or not. I mean, if you've got an FBI, DOJ, IRS that are so politically motivated that half the country have no faith nor confidence in their ability to do their job, you know, by equally applying whatever standard, whatever standard it is, it's got to be applied to Josh, Ken, and everybody else the same way. I mean, that, to me, that's a much bigger, a much bigger story. And I keep going back to February, or excuse me, December 2019, when the FBI got its hands on that laptop. And we know now that they basically admitted internally it's authentic. I mean, it's his, and it doesn't look to be doctored by Russians or Ukrainians or Chinese. I mean, and, and it has a lot of these damaging details about what Hunter and Joe Biden were up to. But, but, but stick with me. But instead of the FBI exposing that to the American public, launching an investigation to find out, you know, what, what, where, where does this lead? They went to Twitter and said there's going to be this big story that could be damaging to one candidate, advantageous to another. Are there something, I mean, we don't understand your world, but is there something you can do to make sure this story gets not, I mean, they, they deplatformed the New York Post, remember? I mean, the New York right. Post Twitter account got shut down. Now, this is prior to Elon Musk. This would have been in the days of Jack Dorsey owning Twitter. And Dorsey's kind of admitted we made a lot of mistakes during that period of time. No, you didn't make a lot of mistakes. You put your thumb on the scale of an election. I mean, that's what Twitter chose to do. But Twitter has a right to do that, Josh. Twitter has every right to decide what content they moderate, what they amplify, what they deplatform. I mean, it's a it's a for profit company, and they have every right. But, but should the, they? But well, I mean, but, but should the FBI? That's that, exactly. that's where I go. I mean, the FBI does not have. They're not a private sector enterprise. They're not a for profit business. They have a moral and ethical obligation to the American people. It's not about Wall Street and quarter by quarter profit. It's not about who the CEO is or not. I mean, the FBI, and that's where I'm, I mean, that, it looks to me like the Bidens have done so much damage. And it's not really about the Bidens. When you really back up a half step and look with clarity, it's about Trump. I mean, this yeah. is the legacy of Trump. What, it's not we're willing to do this to get Joe Biden elected. We're willing to do this to beat Donald Trump. Because Trump's going to usher in this new era, this new age, this new mindset, drain the swamp, um, do all day. He didn't do that, but that, that's what he ran on. And I, and I think eventually the America First movement would have been uh, kind of an assault on the corrupt consulting class of the GOP, the, the, the RNC, the Republican National Committee. Uh, that, that's the driver in all of this. So, so when we say, look at what the FBI was willing to do, DOJ was willing to do, IRS was willing to do. Um, to 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 help Joe Biden win. This was never about Joe Biden. This was about Donald Trump. How do we stop Trump from getting reelected? Um, maybe we stage a pandemic. Maybe we don't. Uh, we obviously lie to the people about you know what what they need to do, what they don't need to do. Social distancing and lockdowns and go don't go to school and plexiglass walls everywhere. And I mean, we know now we made a lot of mistakes. Uh, regarding that, we amplified the pandemic. Um, we we panicked people. We freaked people out. I read a poll where 
50% of college kids believed if they got COVID, they would die. Now, but the reality is what one hundredth of one percent, one hundredth of one percent young people under the age of 25 were at risk of dying from COVID. You're more at risk of dying by a lightning strike than you were dying of COVID. Uh, it's absurd. But, but once again, it stoked fear. It instilled, you know, a lack of confidence. And, and, and Trump was the president. So, so he's the guy in charge, and all these things are happening, and it doesn't look like he's in control of it. So there were so many facets. And, and then what I'm trying to do is convince you that, yes, I think Joe Biden's a crook. But look at what the FBI, DOJ, IRS, and the body politic in general were willing to do to stop Donald Trump from getting reelected. And if I could say something, this is kind of what I'm afraid of, is us getting too distracted by Biden. Because I think that, you know, Trump was the monkey wrench thrown into the gears where he disrupted a bunch not as much as we would have liked, but he posed a threat and everyone in the swamp went into panic mode and they kind of overplayed their hand. You know, like we, we saw, I think it's safe to say we were confident there was election, you know, vote, vote tampering. The, the FBI is playing a political card. They're not ensuring justice. They're, they're using these, this evidence against Hunter you know, maybe even against Biden. Who knows? And I think that it's they the, all the stuff has come out, and I'm afraid we're letting it slip by. Well, I mean, but but think of this, Josh. And we'll take our break. Right. Um, imagine, and I'm not defending Trump's antics. I'm not de- defending his me- demeanor. I mean, I don't like his narcissism. I wish he were, were a more humble man. I mean, I wish he would shut up at times when he says the next three sentences. I think he'd serve himself well, and his likelihood of getting reelected would be much better. But, but imagine what he went up against. I mean, he went from 62 or 3 million to 75 million votes. He still loses by 6 million. And we find out now after the fact, all of these forces were so committed to making sure he didn't win again. I mean, when you wonder what's at stake, when, when you're not a, a former politician, you've never been in government, you don't understand uh, what consulting's like or lobbying's like, just c- kind of imagine what the, 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 the interior forces of our federal government were willing to do to make sure Donald Trump didn't get reelected. It was not just Hunter and Joe Biden get paid by foreign nationals. I mean, the DOJ was in on this. The IRS was in on this. Twitter was in on this. Facebook was in on this. Um, you had, you know, a half billion dollars spending, turning out the vote, ballot harvesting and unsolicited mail-in ballots. Um, when, when someone says Trump can't win the nomination, I mean, we need to elect, DeSantis or, or nominate DeSantis or nominate Chris Christie or, or somebody else, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, whomever uh, the flavor of the day is, I always respond by saying, name a candidate not named Donald Trump that's gotten 75 million votes in a general election. I mean, when, when you've got the DOJ, FBI, IRS, academia, media, um, the DNC, the United States Postal Service, we touched on yesterday trying to try to take over the board of governors at the United States. I mean, how does a Republican win? And when someone says Trump can't win, I, I get the fact these 28 counties, and I understand that. I mean, I'm well aware of the, the you know, the, uh, the electoral dynamic that he's dealing with. But how does, I mean, if, the, if, the, if, if all of these allied forces 
or as committed as they were in 2020. We didn't know at the time. I mean, we we blamed voter tampering, we, we blame or vote tampering. We we blame Wisconsin and Michigan and and Pennsylvania, Georgia, Stacey Abrams. I mean, I still believe there were a lot of shenanigans that went on in some of those. But I mean, in retrospect, when you look at the FBI, DOJ, IRS, I mean, everybody was actively involved in supporting one candidate over another. That should freak everybody listening to my voice. Take a break. Back in a second. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. We have Mike calling from Darlington. Mike, you're on the air. Hey, uh, your show yesterday and today has just been great. I love Rujan's comments about New York City. I mean, it's pitiful what's happened up there, and um, I I don't know what's to be done for it. They've got to decide to help themselves at some point. But uh, you talk a lot about Seinfeld and the Seinfeld uh, voter. But uh, I I recall the last episode of Seinfeld, I think they all wound up in jail because uh, they failed to aid a fellow citizen, I think, in Massachusetts of all places. The Good Samaritan Law. Right, right, right. And And they failed miserably, as they always did. And it wasn't funny anymore when they were locked up. But uh, I think we're in a target-rich environment. And the real question is we don't need to get distracted from what the primary target needs to be, which is winning the election. And I mean winning it, getting hold of uh, the Senate and the presidency. Now, I I don't see an easy path to do that. And maybe you can see a little bit better than I can, but uh, we need to concentrate on that because this is all exciting. I mean, good grief. I I think this would blow the Kardashians and the Jersey Shore people out of the water. Uh, The uh, Joe Exotic, he wouldn't have a chance against this thing because this thing has everything in it. This story is stranger than fiction. It really is. And, uh, and, but I don't, want us to be uh, deluded and distracted from the primary target and purpose. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. And that is winning. No question about it. Robert and I were talking, Robert Cahaley and I were talking yesterday for a good while. Robert is, um, I mean, 80% of his business is polling. I mean, they do some other things. They do some uh, creative work, but the, the majority of Trafalgar's business is polling. And I mean, I asked him yesterday, I said, what, what do you do in the middle of summer? He said, well, I mean, we start thinking about phrasing the question, you know, where the sample is, um, you know, Pennsylvania, because I mean, I'm always, and if we're not careful, we'll fall for this national polling. The national polling doesn't mean much. I mean, it means something. If, if a Republican is leading in the national poll, they're going to win. Let me say that again. If the Republican is leading in the national poll, he's going to win or she's going um, to win. And Robert and I tried to put a puzzle together yesterday. Um, some things, we, we, I mean, he's an expert. I'm not. I mean, I'm uh, gut instinctive. He's data-driven. It's about the data and what the numbers say. And then Robert will confess that, you know, um, turning unlikely voters into likely voters makes it hard to poll. Uh, but there's no doubt about it. What the Democrats have done with ballot harvesting and mail-in ballots and drop boxes and, you know, unsolicited mail-in ballots and signature. I mean, what they've done 
skews the data. No question about it. Robert said yesterday as clearly as, you know, we had we had a poll that was pretty accurate based on likely voters, unlikely voters, Republican voters, Democrat voters. But what the Democrats did in COVID was turn, you know, unregistered voters into likely voters. I mean, someone who's not even registered. You mail an unsolicited registration form. They fill it out. You harvest that form. Uh, you help them vote. Next thing you know, and, you know, uh, e- even someone who's not registered becomes a likely voter. I mean, you got to appreciate that makes polling real complicated and real difficult. But here's what Robert led me to believe yesterday. Once again, the data. Trump ended with 232. If if Trump won exactly what he won this time, last time, he would be at 235. Remember what we talked about a couple of weeks back. There's been a shift. Um, some of the red states have grown, gained population. Some of the blue states have lost population. That reshuffling of electoral votes, it's R plus three. In other words, if Trump were to win exactly what he won in 20, instead of having 232 electoral votes, he'd have 235. Net gain of three. So Trump's at 235. He wins Georgia. That puts him at 251. Robert told me yesterday, if we're fighting for Georgia, we don't have a chance. And he he went into detail about what happened in Georgia, how motivated Abrams was, um, the lax laws, the, the, the COVID you know, the, the COVID election, so to speak, was more amplified in Gwinnett and Fulton County than anywhere in America. I mean, Robert said Philadelphia's always been bad. Detroit's always been its own story. Dade County, Wisconsin, uh, Racine County, Wisconsin's all, but nobody did it like um, Gwinnett and Fulton County did in 2020. So, so Robert believes that the Republican, whether it's Trump or not, should win Georgia. Because it's not going to be COVID. Uh, the, the legislation did some things, uh, you know, that, that we believe tidied up some of that. In other words, they, they, Stacey Abrams will not be as successful at harvesting ballots in 24 as she was in 2020. Not, not just because of COVID, but because of what some of the things the, the, the Georgia General Assembly did in changing some of the voting laws. So, so if 232 turns into 235, you win Georgia. You didn't win it in six in 20. If you win it 24, you're 251. Robert thinks that the Republican has very little chance to win Michigan. Michigan is trending blue. Wisconsin, trending blue. This is is counter to what I thought I'd hear. Robert believes Pennsylvania is trending red. Arizona and Nevada, trending red. So you got Wisconsin and and, and Michigan trending blue. Trump didn't win those in 20, so it's highly unlikely he wins those in 20 and 24. Pennsylvania trending red. Now, now once again, he's a data-driven expert. I'm not. My gut tells me, I don't know, man. Philadelphia's in in Pennsylvania. I I just don't know. Um, You know, and I told Robert, I said, well, Robert, what about the time you said on my show or our show, what about the time you said that if the Republican is to win Pennsylvania, they've got to be up four in the poll. He said, I think they will be. I think, you know, if things play out as we suspect they may, and he's talking about Bidenomics, inflation, price of gas, price of energy. Um, he thinks the, the the voters in Pennsylvania may not be crazy about Trump, 
but they don't like the fact that things have gotten that much more expensive. Housing has increased. Interest rates are, are way up to address inflation. Um, and Pennsylvania will, will reflect that as much as any state in America. This is Robert, not me. I mean, you know, and he, once again, he's the expert. So if Trump gets to 251 by winning Georgia, Pennsylvania's 19. That puts him at 270 on the number. He's president of the United States. Now, if he does win Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan are lost causes, you go to Arizona and Nevada collectively give you 18 electoral votes. And that gets you not to 270, but to 269. Right? 11 and 7 is 18. Am I right? No, I think it's 11 and 6. I'm sorry. It's 11 and 6. I think Nevada's got six electoral votes. So that gets you to 268. He doesn't win. He doesn't win. If he wins Nevada and Arizona, I mean, I'm talking about Georgia's in the bank. Now, you know, I'm not saying Georgia's in the bank. I'm just, for argument's sake, he still comes up short, and it gets him to 268. Takes 269 for a tie. You got 538, you know, available electoral votes. 269 gets to a tie. Um, So that's why Pennsylvania is so critical. Now, Now, there's one electoral vote in Nebraska, I think, and one of those weird districts out there, um, I'll try to dig around and find that out. Try to get Robert to come on next week and walk us through the likelihood or not of that happening. But Robert said, if we are battling for Georgia, we're not going to win. Now, now something else Kahaley said that I'll pass along, because I asked him for permission. He said, yeah, of course you can say this. He believes that Trump must select a female VP. Hmm. Period. Can't be Brian Kemp. Can't be Glenn Youngkin. Can't be J.D. Vance. It's got to be a woman. It's got to be a female. Something's got to soften the edginess of Trump and his campaign. And and a female. And, and Robert's done a lot of so, uh, sampling on this. You know, um, would you vote for Trump if this were the, the VP? Would you vote for Trump if this person was the VP? Um, I don't know who that woman is. I don't have any idea who that who that female is. But but I, I ran my scenario of, of Kemp by, by Georgia and, and as Robert said, if, if we are reduced to having to put Kemp on the ballot to win Georgia, we're done. Because if we can't, I mean, if we got to fight tooth and nail to win Georgia this time without COVID, without ballot harvesting, we, we have no chance in Pennsylvania, no chance in Nevada, no chance in Arizona, and he's already taken Wisconsin and Michigan off the board. So it's going to be a, a, an unbelievably close election. As we expected, it was going to be an unbelievably close uh, election but, but I'll say this, there is no way Trump ends up at 235. I mean, I just don't buy that. He's going to win Georgia. That gets him to 251. He's going to win some combination of Nevada, Arizona, and Pennsylvania. He may win two of the three. If two of the three are Arizona, Nevada, we come up short. If two of the three are Arizona and Pennsylvania, he's president of the United States. 843-661-0937. There a call there, Josh? There is. Let's we, go to the phone, then we'll go take a break. Sounds good. We have Breeze on the line. Breeze, you're on the air. Right old kitty, you know, if a frog had wings, it wouldn't bump his ass. But uh, anyway, uh, you know, what you're going to have to get, you got Christy Dome, then you got Lake, what's her name, called Lake Girl. I guess she's out of Nevada or whatever. And then other would be Sarah Palin. There's just aren't that many women out you there. You know who Robert Maybe. likes, Breeze? You'll be interested in this. You know who he likes? Marsha Blackburn. Marsha Blackburn. Well, I'll be damned. Well, and and anyway. you know why? I, you, I know you well enough. You, you, can really, you know why he likes Blackburn? 
because she doesn't intimidate female voters. He thinks Christy Noem's too pretty, and she dresses too right, provocative. Right, right, right. And, Isn't and, that crazy that that's the way you got to play it? But, but that's the way. Yeah. But, you know, here's another thing, kid. I wonder how many of these people left or did they left in these blue states like New York and came down here were Democrats. So I wonder how I wonder how much that's going to change in some of these. I wonder if the red states maybe maybe got too much blue in them, in them now, you know. But uh, another thing I was thinking also uh, when we're talking about this election, I tell you what, man, if you got enough people in this country that are really really well willing to vote Democrat now, we're in trouble. But another thing, you know, I know you've been talking about some climate change, and that might be something they want to think about at the nine o'clock. But it would be something for the legislators too. You know, these people, the finance people, the banks and all that, that are all for ESG, environmental, social, and governance, right? Why are they still giving 30-year mortgages if they think that the sea is going to rise 10 feet all up and down the East Coast? Why are banks investing in Isle of Pauls? Why are banks investing in Mount Pleasant? If the seas rose 10 feet, you wouldn't even have England anymore. You know, why are people – I mean, if the banks are still giving 30-year loans, on the, on the coastal areas of around the world. So the point is, they don't believe it, and they know it's a farce. So they're all behind it. And here's another thing. You see where Christian Dome had to veto a bill that was brought forward by the banks and the people in charge of the money where they're trying to get us away from cash, get us away. They want to get the digital, and then they want to have a, like a government-type thing and get rid of any other forms of crypto. So right now, while we're dealing with these buffoons, over in Washington, the, the, the real powerful people are still trying to get us to where we have a cashless society and where they control the money, and then they put us in these big cities. And if you don't fall in line, they'll cut off your cut off your electricity, cut off your water, and freeze your bike out, just like they did in Canada. You do as Davos says. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. Yeah, do as Davos says. You do. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Josh, can we go? Can we cue television or can we? Is that too complicated to do uh, in real time? We can. I, it'll just take a second. Okay. Um, well, don't do that. I mean, Andy McCarthy's on um, on Fox News right now talking about this, this plea deal that Hunter Biden has agreed to. Um, here's what we know now. We, we started the show this morning uh, kind of on the fly, trying to better understand it as we, as we progressed. Here seems to be... Uh, the deal. You ready? So, Congressman Smith, who chairs the Ways and Means, filed an amicus brief with the judge, who will hear Hunter Biden's plea this morning, telling the judge that he believes, and their investigation led them to believe, that there was political interference. That that Hunter Biden is 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 being is pleading to a lesser charge or a lesser punishment. Because of politics, political interference became a part of this. Hunter Biden got a sweet deal because his daddy's president. He knows a bunch of politicians. Um, I mean, I'm sure that's not the the verbiage in the amicus brief, but that's what he's in, insinuating. And he wants the judge to include that a, as part of her, I don't know, digesting the information and making a judgment and determination uh, about, you know, the plea or, or the plea, the plea deal they've made. So, so. Congressman Smith and his staff, for the staff of the Ways and Means, the legal staff of the Ways and Means Committee, they send that amicus brief to the judge. They want to include that in the 
and, and kind of the uh, the public domain, so to speak. The the law firm for Hunter Biden made aware that the Ways and Means legal staff, at the direction of its chairman, sent the judge this amicus brief that includes basically accusing Hunter Biden of receiving some sort of political special treatment. Someone from the law firm representing Hunter Biden called the judge asking for that amicus brief to be removed from, you know, making being made public, and they said they were with the Ways and Means legal team. I mean, the judge actually said that a second ago. Not not the judge herself. Her office released a statement. Now, the, the legal team of Hunter Biden has said it was a miscommunication. There was never any intent to misrepresent. It was just a staffer at our law firm making a mistake. Um, but that's kind of where we are today. So, so we began this morning, you know, w- wondering what was true and what was not. It appears as we speak. Um, and we're having a, uh, a plea hearing at 10 o'clock this morning. It appears as we're speaking that w- we know this to be true. We know that Congressman Smith, Chair of the Ways and Means, filed an amicus brief. The amicus brief was to let the judge know that they believe the investigation was affected or influenced by political favoritism. Someone from Biden's law firm, I guess they they had to be made aware of that. They called the judge and said, we don't want that amicus brief to be a part of the hearing or to be made public. And we're from the ways and means. I mean, if that's the case, I, you know, I have no idea what the judge will do with that. Now, Now, now we don't want, I mean, if someone called the Hunter Biden law firm and said, we don't want that amicus brief to be a part of the disclosure, I get that. I mean, you've got a client. You know, you believe that's potentially damaging and, and it could lead to Joe Biden. But, but if you misrepresent yourself and say that I am a lawyer working for the Ways and Means legal team, wow. I mean, that, that's a, I mean, that's a bombshell. To me, it's not so much a bombshell for someone to call from Biden's legal team asking for the amicus brief to not be made public. Now, but that's advocating. That's doing a lawyer's job. Now, whether you're guilty or not, you, you, you deserve, you know, representation. So a lawyer's going to bat for his client. But if that lawyer or someone from that law firm told the judge that they're from the other side. Right. Wow. Now, now once it's again, you, you better believe it. So, so you know, the judge will, uh, I guess, formally address this at some point in time um, after 10 o'clock this morning. This is very interesting um, to me, it, it kind of feeds into the narrative, Josh. Either Hunter and Joe Biden are telling the truth or everybody else is. And, and every episode, every ensuing episode, every example of finding more information incriminates the Bidens more and more and more. You've got all these forces aligned saying, you know, some of the same sorts of things. You've got, it, it began with Bobolinsky. And then you've got a confidential human source and IRS whistleblowers. And uh, now, now you've got Devin Archer. You, you can question whether these are good people or not. You, you can question whether they're telling the truth or not. They're singing the same song. I mean, they, they've organized a coup against Joe Biden. Is that what we're saying? I mean, is that what Joe and Hunter are arguing? We're telling the truth that everybody else is telling a lie? I mean, this is, that's what Joe Biden has said. Because he's historically and, and, and time and time again said... I don't know anything about my son's business dealings. And now, and now, you know, um, KJP, I think is what they call her. Uh, I want to be friendly to her, not call her the, anyway. Um, <laughs> she says that, you know, 
He's not in business. I mean, they, they've, they've kind of um, they moved the goalpost from Joe Biden knew nothing about Hunter Biden's business to now Joe Biden has never been in business with Hunter Biden. I want to touch on one thing real quick, and then we'll go to the call. Um, Breeze was talking about, you know, you hope all the – we're talking about the Electoral College. 232 is now 235. Georgia gets to 251. Um, if you win Pennsylvania, you're president. If you don't uh, and you lose Wisconsin, Michigan, but win Arizona, Nevada, you come up, you know, one short. So, so you know, it's a complicated and competitive matter. But Breeze said something about, you know, are all these Democrats, are all the people moving to South Carolina from New York and Pennsylvania and, you know, where are they Democrats? I, I don't know. Uh, all I can tell you is this, and I think this is very interesting, um, the BVAP. You know what BVAP is, Josh? I do not. The BVAP, BVAP is black voting age population. Oh. Um, what percentage? In other words, if you're a Republican, and you're running in a district that has a, a 32, 33, 34 BVAP, good luck. I mean, good luck. I mean, you know, the most loyal support of Democrats in office have been African-Americans. I mean, it's just the way it is. Yeah. Uh, the Republicans are going to get somewhere in the neighborhood of 7, 8, maybe 9% of the vote. Trump got a little better than that with African-American males. He underperformed with African-American uh, females. Forget Hispanics for a second. Uh, that's the fastest-growing group of electorate in America. But... um. But in, in all the, 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 the population growth of South Carolina, I mean, it's largely been along the coast. The BVAP in South Carolina has gone from, in the last 10 years, from about 34% to about 28%. I mean, that, that's a staggering number. I mean, that, I mean, if you know anything about politics and running for office, the statewide BVAP in 2010 was somewhere around 34 33.5%, somewhere thereabout. Today, it's 28%. Now, I'm not saying they're Democrats, Republicans, or not, but if you look at the BVAP and you look at the historical comparison of black voting age population collaborating or corresponding with Democrats winning office, it, it looks like South Carolina is going to be more Republican than it's ever been. I'm not saying there aren't white Democrats. I'm mm-hmm. just saying the higher the BVAP, the more likely it is Democrats win. Right. The lower the BVAP, the less likely it is Democrats win. And the statewide BVAP declined significantly in the last 10 years because of all the growth along the coast that aren't African-Americans. I mean, we've had tremendous growth on our on our coast of South Carolina. And it's by and large, I mean, I'll say there been a lot of white folk that have moved from New York, moved from Pennsylvania, moved from Michigan, moved from Ohio, moved from where, New Jersey, wherever they come from. It's just not, there are not a lot of blacks moving into South Carolina. The preponderance of, of growth in South Carolina along its coast has been, you know, a lot of white folk. And that's changed the BVAP from somewhere around 33 and a half to somewhere around 28, 28 and a half. So, you know, if you look at the, the historical statistical averages, you would say South Carolina is more Republican today than it's ever been in its history. I don't know that, but but historically and, and on average, that would be um, the case. Let's go to the phone. We got David calling from the PD. David, you are on the air. Hey, good morning, Ken. I'm going to save my comments about Christy Nome for another day. Uh, but anyway, here's two questions for you when it comes to Hunter and Joe. Um I'm thinking, who gets paid to fix this Ukrainian infrastructure after it's blown to smithereens? And where is Ron Klain? Uh, but 
comments about this. I mean, back in the day, I grew up on a small town I call the Georgia side of the state. And I looked at these politicians. They would get kickbacks from contractors. They'd get side work done. They'd get money from tow truck companies. They would furnish transportation to voters to get them to the polls. I mean, they used to give them turkeys and fruit and have the fire truck from the city fill up their pool and their pond. Uh, so it's kind of like Boss Joe, but here's the difference. And see, Boss Joe, he's on a global scale, but here's the difference. Back in the day, usually the media will come in and investigate this, and then they expose this, and then you had some form of a justice system that would punish these folks. And you used a great word you call institutional. Now we have institutional media and justice system. So what do they do? They try to protect these people because our world, I mean, it's become where everybody's getting a kickback. You look at the Democrat Party, they're making their livelihood uh, from the government or kickbacks or whatnot. And leave you at this. I mean, they're going to look at Hunter. They're going to pity Hunter. Again, like, uh, what about Trump? Uh, and they're going to do that. So they're going to run on that for a while. So but we'll see what happens when they get, when they dump Joe. I mean, they desperate then when they dump Joe. Have a good day. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. You know, I want to go down the road. Let's be as good old boy as I can. I mean, I can't, there's a threshold of good old boyism that, that, that you begin to embarrass yourself hosting a radio show. I mean, if I'm not on the radio, if I'm sitting around tailgating with my buddies or drinking a beer at the beach, I mean, I can go far down that road. I mean, I own multiple muscle shirts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, I mean, you know, I, I, I come from there. I mean, it, good old boy-ism is my native tongue. I mean, that's just the way, I, 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 in all honesty, I mean, you folks don't know this and wouldn't believe this, but I kind of sort of dress it up a little bit when I get on the radio. I mean, I get more um, grammatically correct. I know people are like, what? There's no way. I mean, you can't, but, but you know. When when you look at what David is talking about, and and I'll try to explain it in as acceptable a good old boyism as you possibly can can muster. Dave is talking about kickbacks, you know, the payoffs, the ripoffs, the deals nobody saw, as Glenn Fry said in Smuggler's Blues. But when you go down that road, um, if I'm sitting at a bar drinking a beer with a buddy of mine, and he knows I'm formerly in politics, and he say, "Explain this Ukrainian stuff to me," or this. You know, this um, this Bosnia stuff to me. I mean, I, I, here's what happens, guys. The military-industrial complex gets paid to blow things up, and other companies get paid to build it back. So when you look at, let's, let's say Ukraine is an example. I mean, we're spending billions and billions and billions and billions of taxpayer dollars to basically be involved in blowing it up. Now, we can talk Ukrainian sovereignty and Russian expansionism. Fair enough. I mean, there's a very genuine political debate to be had there. But but the reality is they're tearing things to smithereens. I mean, they're, they're, they're destroying the country. We're paying to some degree to help destroy the country. I mean, you can just say we're, we're helping the Ukrainians defend themselves. We are. But it's still decimating a landscape. It's decimating Ukrainian city after Ukrainian city, building after building, home after home, apartment complex after apartment uh, complex, shopping center after shopping center. I mean, it's not America, but Ukrainian has an economy. The Ukrainian economy exists. People live in homes. They stay in hotels. 
They have businesses. And the, the, the military-industrial complex, to some degree, is subsidizing, blowing the country all to hell. So once the country's blown all to hell, and Ukraine and Russia make some sort of deal, I don't know what it's about, this ter- Donbass territory, you know, you take that, we'll take this, maybe they defeat Putin, and they expand a little. I don't have any idea how it ends up. But, but I do know that we're making a significant investment in helping blow the country up. So once we blow the country up, there'll be contracts made available to build it back. And there will be consultants and lobbyists and Congress members' doors, you know, knocking on, I need to tell you about this company that, that's in the concrete business. This company's in the asphalt business. This company's in the construction business. This company's in the in the apartment business. This company's in the you know, the, the, the home building business. And there will be government contract after government contract after government contract awarded and political favoritism will be very much in play. So, so when, when you're trying to sit around a bar and explain to someone, how are these people getting rich? Well, I mean, I, you know, I don't know particularly what Burisma was trying to do. That there was a regulatory authority that they were trying to skirt around. And this, this, um, this prosecutor what was making sure Burisma did not neglect their responsibility. And Burisma needed him dealt with. And I think that's the deal that Biden made with, you know, the, the Burisma executives and CEOs. But, but it's deeper than that. It's far deeper than that. So, so the, the military-industrial complex is going to have to replenish what we send to Ukraine. I mean, that's enormous amounts of money. They're going to have to continue to update and upgrade our American military to be ready to go to the next aid or assistance of whomever. You know, is it Ukraine again? Is it Poland? Is it Hungary? Is it Germany? I don't know. I mean, I don't have any idea. Some of these countries that are, you know, NATO members, we have an Article 5 obligation to defend or help defend, you know, one member under attack. They're all under under attack. That's kind of an insane agreement. I didn't sign up for that. I mean, if you're a 20-year-old member of the armed forces, did you know you signed up to go defend, you know, Poland? If Poland is attacked by, by Russia, you did. And what would happen to NATO if we left? Well, I mean, NATO would fall on its face because we fund it. There's another, exactly. you know, th- there's another scheme that somebody's making enormous amounts of money. And so, so the, the, the point, good old boyism is this. The military-industrial complex is being awarded contracts to blow Ukraine to smithereens. Other companies will be awarded contracts to go build it. It's all taxpayer dollars. I mean, it's, it's, if it's borrowed dollars, it's guaranteed by the taxpayer ability to service the debt. I mean, it's all, you're on the hook for it, I'm on the hook for it, and we're on the hook not only to blow Ukraine up, we're on the hook to build it back. So, so that, you know, when you talk about what, why would you be interested in Ukrainian dignitaries or government officials, they're going to decide who gets the contract. And if you're subsidizing or footing the bill, you'll have a lot of influence on, on where the contracts go. And American companies and, and, you know, Ukrainian companies invested in by Americans will have a large say in who gets to build back. you. I'm using Ukraine because it's the latest example. I mean, it, it would be similar in every country that the neocons have torn up and blown up and, and have to go back and, uh, and eventually build back. 8436, that's part of being an empire, Josh. The, the American empire is alive and well. 843-661-0937. Let's, uh, let's take a break. I don't want to get too far behind. Take a break. I know we've got... A couple of calls have been disrespectful of your time, but I'll do better after this break. Back in a few. I'm a gropper and a complainer and a pay attentionist. (laughs) 
I'm not a conspiracy theorist any longer. I am a pay attentionist. I like that. So before we get to the callers, I do want to ask real quick. It sounds like you're accusing the Bidens of doing the kind or doing the kind of thing that really everyone's getting away with doing. I'm not saying everyone. The old hands in Washington know how this game is played. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not a partisan issue. The Democrats don't monopolize, you know, government corruption. The Republicans don't monopolize government corruption. I mean, I, I gave you a scenario of Ukraine because Ukraine is the example everybody's paying close attention today. There, there have been government contracts awarded in the name of blowing up Ukraine. Now, now we can call it national security. We can call it, you know, as a NATO partner. I mean, there, there are a lot of politically correct ways to say why we're doing what we're doing. And there's a legitimate debate to say we should or should not. But, but the reality is there's an enormous amount of money being made by the military-industrial complex by what we're doing in Ukraine. At some point in time, they will make a deal. I don't have any idea what that deal will be between Putin and Kiev or Putin and, and Zelensky. Uh, Putin may get over. I don't, I don't know. I mean, that, you know, that, that, that'll take care of itself. But we will be asked at some point in time to make investments in rebuilding Ukraine. There will be enormous government contracts awarded. And if you're an old hand in Washington, you understand how that game is played. And companies that have been kind to you over the years will be more seriously considered than those who not. So, yeah, that's exactly. Now, the difference in Biden and his kid, he's the president, and Biden, Hunter Biden's the son of a president. But but it's not, I mean, it, I, I'm not, I'm accusing the Bidens of being corrupt, but but I'm certainly not saying they're the only corrupt politician in Washington. Oh, yeah. And, and that's why you hear very little out of the old hands. Those who have been around the block know they've got as many skeletons in their closet as Biden does in his. Let's go to the phone. We got Jeff from Florence on the line. Jeff, you're on the air. Hey, good morning. Hey, Jeff. Hey, uh, so going back to, uh, you know, the Ukraine and the hands and the, uh, you know, pie, if you will, making this uh, situation happen. Do you know what year Rudy Giuliani started working for Ukraine? I don't. Okay. On Ukraine? Uh, It goes back to 2009. We know Paul Manafort already he works for Ukraine. He did work for Ukraine. I think he the difference the in Russians. Manafort and Biden is one disclosed he was a lobbyist for Ukraine and the other has not. What, Biden? No, I'm talking about Hunter Biden works for Ukraine yeah. as well. Oh, Bi- Hunter Biden. Yeah, right. Biden you, just you didn't. Just well, I mean, Biden. No, you're talking about, you're you talking about, well, Biden. I mean, Hunter, Joe, one of the same. You're talking about Giuliani, I mean, Manafort, but Manafort disclosed that he was an agent for the Ukrainian government or at least working for the Ukrainian government. The Bidens have not disclosed that information. They've not made public and filed the right. proper documents that they're doing work for the Ukrainian government or Burisma, which is a Ukrainian energy company. Right. His kid, right? Ah, you know, get right. dad on the phone. Yeah, I, I mean, but no, no no, audio of that. No, Nobody's testifying to that, right? Under oath. Absolutely nobody has. I think Devin Archer will Monday. Okay, and and the U.S. prosecutor, he is going to testify. Trump's U.S. prosecutor, his his attorney general. Well, what does his, that mean, uh, Trump's prosecutor? What what does that mean? I mean, well, Trump's he, prosecutor. He was appointed by. He was appointed. But by but Donald isn't he a Trump. prosecutor? I mean, a president has to appoint. No. no okay. No, he's not a prosecutor. He's a Trump Everybody, prosecutor. What what happens to DAs across the? What, why, pro, uh, can I ask you a question, Jeff? Why are we talking sure. about Trump? Well, you're the one that's talking. You just said Biden. I've spent a couple of hours trying to explain why I think Biden's corrupt. 
Do you, do you deny right. my explanation? Uh, I, I think you leave out a lot of key facts. Okay, you you do. Uh, you're you're leaving out the fact that um, has anything I said been untrue? You no, I said you leave out facts. Okay, you don't tell the whole story. Just like you, you know, you think I don't tell the whole story, right? I think you could be guilty of that at times. Yeah, yeah, we all can. Um, but but when you talk about this military-industrial complex, you realize you know who Eric Prince is, right? I do. What's his What's his real his, one of? Let me t- tell. Don't ask me questions. I mean, you've got right. a commentary. It's, it's let's let's DeVos. go. Yeah, it's 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 DeVos. Okay. Okay. Trump's secretary of education, one of their major donors, people who give the Trump's money. But why no are we back it. on Trump, Jeff? Because Trump's not the president. The military, Trump's kid it, is it, not pleading guilty to a crime this morning. I, that's what I don't understand. I get the argument of whataboutism. But, but at some point in time, let's defend. I don't think Donald Trump incited an insurrection. I think Donald Trump mishandled classified information. I don't think Donald Trump obstructed justice. I'm willing to accept, but but every time we talk about Biden, his kid, their shenanigans, it, it's what about ism? It's it's Trump, Trump, no, Trump, no, it's, and it's, and there's an obsession it, that you guys have that that I consider to be irrational. Oh, oh my God, you guys are the the right is literally posting nude pictures of of a president's kid, but you can't say Baron Trump is too tall. Do you I'm see di- that? I'm just saying Trump has been indicted multiple times. He's been impeached Before, multiple times. He will probably be indicted a couple of other times. The the justice system will deal accordingly. For Ukraine. But but it's hard for me to believe that that you want to talk about Trump when everybody is accusing your president of, you know, these misdeeds. I mean, that's just interesting to me that nobody on that side would defend Biden. That there's not a single person I've heard defending Biden. Nancy Pelosi went on television Sunday morning and basically when asked about Biden, she said, well, I mean, you remember that time I had to impeach Trump? I mean, I had to call for the impeachment inquiry. I didn't like to do it, didn't want to do it. But And, and that's that's absurd. That's bizarre to me that we're so obsessed. About, about Ukraine. But it's about Trump. About. I mean, the, the, no, the, you keep leaving it out. No, I'm not leaving Donald anything Trump out, Jeff. Donald, Donald Donald Trump has Trump. been impeached twice, indicted twice. He will probably be indicted another time or two. It Donald looks Trump to me like impeached. Joe Biden committed much more egregious crimes than Donald Trump ever imagined, and there's no indictment. That, that, that there, there's no impeachment, and I, and I just I, I just hope we get to a place of of treating one you know a president accused of misdeeds. Like we do the other. Donald Trump was impeached about Ukraine. Yes. That's what you leave out. No, he's he impeached. impeached about Ukraine. He's impeached by, his impeachment was led by him calling the Ukrainian president saying, hey, we've heard all these things about the Bidens in Ukraine. Can you give a look, see, and see if there's anything to it? Yeah. And, I mean, it, how did that and that's what he got you impeached for. About- I mean, that, that's why yeah. he got impeached. And now we're finding out that Trump was on to something. How, how did that happen? No, it, it, seriously, you talk about Justice Department and two-tier justice system. Does it make any sense that Rudy Giuliani, a private citizen who has no standing in the U.S. government, 
is over in Ukraine talking to the president of Ukraine, talking to spies in Ukraine, gathering information, and gets a seat with Bill Barr. What what does that look like to you? How do you describe that? Rudy Giuliani is not the president. He worked for the president. Fair enough. Outside of the U.S. But but we've got a Democrat president being accused of very serious crimes, and everybody that that supported Biden, nobody will defend him. It's what about ism? Okay. It's what about Trump? What about Trump? What about Trump? And to me, that's a that is a tiring and shallow argument to make. Okay, and so here I go to the U.S. attorney that investigated this claim was appointed by Donald Trump. He was put on the investigation by Bill Barr. He has come up with his findings. He has done his job, and you don't like the results. I get that. But don't say this is— So when he comes up with this finding—I want to be respectful here. So when he comes up with this finding and we have information that disputes his finding, what are we to do with all that information? What are we to do with the IRS whistleblower, the confidential human source, Devin Archer, Tony Bobolinsky? Are we just to say, you bunch of liars, you? I mean, you're— your articulation is inconsistent with what the uh, the Trump appointed lawyer found out. Did you hear the whistleblowers talk? Yes. Did you watch it? Yes. Did that one whistleblower said we often have disagreements with sentencing guidelines? Sure. He is. He said ninety three percent. This is the whistleblower said ninety three percent of the time. They disagree with my sentencing guidelines. But, Jeff, the whistleblower's revelation no, did, was did, did there were things that? he wanted to do that he was not allowed to do. That's inconsistent with the fundamental disagreement about what should be done. The whistleblower okay. said more than one time he wanted to, to subpoena documents. He wanted to do interviews. He wanted to talk to Hunter Biden, and he was forbidden from doing that. And in normal investigatory measures, he's able to do that. Are you are you are you telling me that Donald Trump has talked to? All I'm not telling you anything. I'm just telling you what the whistleblower said in public, and under did, under did, threat of perjury. Did, did did Jim Jordan sit in front of the investigators? I, I, no. Okay. I mean, oh, but but let me ask what, you this now, because I, I got to get on to another call. Are you did, sure. are, are you publicly saying that you don't believe the IRS whistleblowers, Bobolinsky, Devin Archer, um, the confidential human source, the FBI informant? I mean, you, you think Hunter and Joe were telling the truth and everybody else is, is just telling a lie. Yeah, you say everybody else. Bob no, no, I just listed I just listed the, the group of people that we have saying corroborating things. I mean, th- th- those people I just listed have been very consistent in, in, in what they say happened. Bob Alinsky, yeah. Archer, IRS whistleblowers, FBI informant, Le- confidential human Le- source. Le- all of those people have said Le- Le- kind of, Le- sort of the same thing. Hunter and Joe have said they're lying. We either believe Le- one Le- or we believe the other. So, do we believe Lev Parnas? I, I don't. I don't. I didn't mention him. I mean, you're, I, I'm not mentioning I him. <laughs> I know you. Did. No, we either believe these the people that say opposite. Biden's on the take, or we believe Hunter and Joe when they say I'm not. To me, it's a it's kind of a fundamental issue. It, it is. Like you, you believe who you want to believe. Do people lie? No, I think yes, we. I lie. think you're better than that, and I know I. I don't believe who I. I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. You won't. But, but it's I some, just mentioned a man's name to you that they will not call in front of Congress, who says it's all bull, bull BS. 
but but that doesn't mean that I do I think he has a place in the debate? Yeah, let's launch an impeachment inquiry, and let's I mean, let's get you him don't on the need stand. An impeachment inquiry. There's a committee right there. Call the other witnesses. Kind of like the way the January 6th commission did or the impeachment inquiry led by Nancy Pelosi. What you don't like, Jeff, is not being in charge. And right now, the investigation is being led by Republicans, and Republicans are going to be aggressive in trying to prosecute the Democrat Joe Biden. Let me ask you a question. You just mentioned January 6th. You asked me too many many questions, Jeff. No, I know. How many many Democrats testified in front of the January 6th commission? (sighs) Ah. They all impeach you, Trump. Um, no, 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 no. No, no. I, I'm, Witnesses, I'm talking. I'm, I'm framing the commission. I mean, to me, it was not a legitimate commission because everybody was on. I mean, you, you didn't get the Democrats to Jordan. Tell me the, one Democrat. No, I don't remember. I didn't Democrat pay the January once. Once Pelosi, for the first time in American history, did not allow the minority party to put on a committee who they chose. I lost any interest in what the commission had, or what they. I mean, it was obvious what it was. You know what you're not going to find? You're not going to find one person that wasn't a Republican, a lifelong Republican, testifying. Okay, they fair, were fair all enough. Republican. Well, let me list Cheney's a Republican. Yep. So, so Adam Kinzinger's a Republican. So was Mike Pence is a Republican. Chief of Staff. So was uh, Pat Cipollone. They were all, all of them. The Bill Republican Barr, voter today, and you you don't get to chime in on this. The Republican voter have decided that the flavor of Donald Trump is what they want the party to be dominated by. It may not be Trump. I mean, Trump's not an eternal figure. He's here now. He'll be gone tomorrow or, or in a few years. But the party has decided that it is, it's an America first-centric party. Kinsey doesn't like that. Cheney doesn't like that. Romney doesn't like that. McConnell doesn't like that. But eventually, this party will be dominated by that, that America first agenda and political force. Jeff, we got to take a break. I'm sorry. 843-661-0937. Always enjoy Jeff's calls. And I mean that um, sincerely, but, but it's, you know, what about ism? What about Trump? What about Trump? What about Trump? Trump has been indicted. He's been impeached. He's been investigated from one end of, uh, of Hades to the other. And, and I would imagine at least one more indictment, probably two more. And, you know, if I'm predicting, the next indictment will coincide with, uh, you know, the latest revelation about the Bidens and pay-for-play. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. We have Pat calling from Florence. Pat, you are on the air. Morning. Looks like he's back to his old up to his old tricks again. You call it nine forty when we don't have much time to respond. But you are exactly right. If you ask a Democrat a question that they don't want to answer, they say, "But what about Donald Trump?" Anyway, thank you. Uh, have a good day. Thank you, Pat. Appreciate it. I'll say. I mean, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I think Trump committed a crime. I think Donald Trump mishandled classified information. I don't think Trump. I mean, I think, I think it's questionable. And I think there's a fair argument to be made. Did he obstruct justice or not? He didn't incite an insurrection. I mean, there's no way he incited an insurrection. Did he peddle fantasy? Maybe. I mean, you know, I don't have this Trump loyalty. I am 1,000% loyal to America first. I am a most-time Trumper. But I think I can be critical of President Trump or candidate Trump when he makes mistakes. And I think he made a mistake by peddling, uh, 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 you know, an outcome that was not going to happen. I mean, when he when he basically said Pence can do this and Pence can do that, 
I mean, that was not reasonable. That's not practical. That that was impractical and unreasonable. And, and people got ginned up as a result of that. But Donald Trump did not incite an insurrection because we didn't have an insurrection. I mean, you got to have an insurrection for someone to have incited an insurrection. I mean, we had a protest gone bad. We had people kicking doors down that shouldn't have. We had people busting out windows that shouldn't have. Nobody had a gun. There was no gun charge. You can't have an insurrection. It didn't, I mean, it, it was a riot gone bad. And Trump is somewhat responsible for that. But, but to suggest that, you know, um, obstructing justice or uh, mishandling classified information is equal to the president and his son being bribed to the tune of $5 million to do something in the name of the American government to advantage a business or a government in a country far, far away. Now, now once again, I didn't say Biden did it. It looks like he may have. It looks like he and his son, you know, bribed the government or took a bribe in the name of helping a foreign government, a foreign entity or enterprise. That's in common. There's nothing Trump has ever done as president to compare to being paid by a foreign national to the tune of $10 million to do something uh, for them. I mean, that, that's, I, I just, I don't see that. I mean, it's, it's not even close. I mean, it's single and home run. Let's go to the phone. We have Angela calling from Florence. Angela, you're on the air. Um, yes. Going back to Trump all the time, all the time, all the time, it drives me insane. Trump may have broken some laws. Okay, most presidents have probably broken some laws. However, I could care less what Trump does. He could break some of the biggest laws there is from here on out. But until I see Hillary, Joe, Bill, Hunter, Pelosi, until I see all of them under indictment for all the things that they've done, I could care less what Trump does. I could care less what anybody else does. You've got to go back and you've got to make sure that law and order is being done and the judicial system is working throughout our political figures. In order to go forward, I mean, that's just all there is to it. So many of them on the Democrat side has blatantly broken major, major laws, and nothing's been done. Nothing. Epstein's black book is gone. Who knows what was in that? Um, Well, I think we all know what was in that, but, um, you know, Hillary deleted emails and and crashed a server Uh, really until they are prosecuted for all of their crimes i could care less what trump does he thank you angela appreciate that we lost you i'm sorry 843 now we can't give the number we're about to get out of here um josh said something interesting when you walked in i want to continue this tomorrow morning josh when you walked over and said so Jeff believes that Trump got favored treatment? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's hard really? to argue. I mean, you, you can love Trump, hate Trump, be be lukewarm on Trump. I, I get it. I mean, I understand. But to suggest that Donald Trump has not been treated fundamentally different by the body politic and those associated is asinine. I mean, it's absurd. The guy's been investigated 10 ways to Sunday. He's been indicted 
for the first time in American history, a president, former president, being indicted by the DOJ. He's been impeached twice. I mean, the rarity of impeachment. I mean, Trump is a, I mean, he's a different animal, and he's been dealt with differently. Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.